Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 160 socially distanced podcast the flagship podcast of the popbreak.com my name is bill bodkin i am the editor-in-chief of the site and welcome to the final part of our da, 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 da. it's indiana jones and our little mini series we call jonesing for indiana jones and you'll find out soon enough just why that happened and if you listen to the last episode you already know uh, but before we get into this podcast, uh, this is the final week of Mental Health Awareness Month, and I would be remiss if I did not close it out and say anything. Last week, I didn't say anything because I, I was having an allergic reaction during the entire podcast. Boy, that sucked. But you know what? You couldn't have told. Uh, unless Amanda kept pointing out, she's like, your face is really red and swollen. I'm like, I know. <laughs> um, so um, I've talked about you know, in week one, I talked about my journey. In week two, I talked about how uh, anyone who's on this journey needs, you know, a support system. Uh, I just want to say that's so something I don't think a lot of people do say. And to everyone out there who's struggling, everyone out there who's trying to get better, and everyone who kind of has gotten better, I'm proud of you. And that sounds corny as hell, but I feel like we don't talk about to people who are going through this. We don't talk about how proud we are of them and how much how hard this is to go on this journey. And so for all you who are going on this journey right now, and it, trust me, I know it all too well, where, you know, you take five steps one day and then you take 20 the next, 20 back the next, it sucks, man. And you feel alone a lot of the time and you gotta, you sometimes you don't feel like you're doing enough, but let me, let me tell you this. I, I watch this cartoon with my daughter every day, essentially it's, it's on Disney channel. It's called Kiff. And they have this holiday called halfway day. And the patron of this is a character called Centaur Claus. And yes, he's half Santa, half Centaur. And he has a catchphrase and it says, go easy on yourself. And I feel like, th and the whole point of that halfway day is you don't always have to put in maximum effort to have a good time, to, to, to really enjoy life all the time. You don't have to keep up with everyone and be perfect. It just has to be about what you, makes you happy and go easy on yourself. And this holiday weekend, that's what I ask all of you. Just go easy on yourself because you are trying and you are putting in the hard work. And there are a lot of people who are proud of you. And no matter how much you do or you think you haven't done, take the win for this weekend. Go do something you love and go enjoy yourself because you deserve it. And I know that sounds uh, fairly corny and fairly PSA, but literally that's my entire essence as a father and a human being. So take it easy, enjoy your weekend. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of all, and I'm proud of all the people who are on this podcast because they're super awesome. Let's introduce the gang. First, uh, last week, she had just bought gallons of water because, man, the thirst was real. Um, she is the human Star Wars encyclopedia and my co-host, Amanda Rivas. Uh, welcome back. Um, how are you holding up this week? We good? I'm good. Uh, the thirst is still real, and I am not alone in my thirst. It's not just me. It's not just me, because Harrison Ford, you know what, there's that whole clip that came out of uh, Cannes where, you know, he got hit on, too, and I'm like, you know what? So it's not just me. It's not just me. It is not just you, <laughs> because by special request, we have the co-host of the Not Couple Goals podcast, who, despite being under the weather, was like, I am going to talk about my love and thirst for Harrison Ford because God damn it, Bill, 
you know I have this. And that literally is verbatim what she told me before our Batman by the Numbers podcast, which you can hear on the Pop Break Today feed. Allie Nelson, welcome back to the show. That's right. You are not alone. I wanted to come here mid-COVID battle just to talk about my thirst so that you would not be alone. And you. that is 100% a shoot. She is all COVIDed up, and yet she is here for Harrison Ford. You know what else is here for Harrison Ford? The returning magical lad, of <laughs> course. He was our regular guest for our Moon Knight podcast, so we've been trying to make up for that for a year, essentially. <laughs> uh, so let's bring him back to a, a, you know archaeologist and e- Egyptologist that you know he actually does like. Uh, Tyler McCarthy, the other half of the Not Couple Goals podcast, welcome back, my friend. Thank you. Thank you so much. Hey, you don't need to make anything up for me. Moon Knight was was fun with friends, but a bad show. <laughs> just, just, it sucked. Uh, I enjoyed it. I mean, Ali enjoyed it. There were parts. I enjoyed it. There were parts. And then there and were, was, then, then, then there were other parts. And uh, just, so, just so nothing gets awkward later, I fully sign off on my wife's thirst for Harrison Ford. You're a good man, <laughs> a good husband, and listen, you're an all right guy. Yeah. And finally, <laughs> I'll take it. We bring in someone who just watched all the Indiana Jones movies for the first time in his life. Literally, it feels like five minutes ago. It probably was last month. He is the director of our podcast network, and he will be making a, def- a defense for why you and all of us on this podcast should watch Indiana Jones, The Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. It's a tall order. But I think he and his uh, very good hair day have a good shot of doing so. Alex Marcus, what's up, buddy? Hey, Bill, it's not that bad. And we'll get into why it's not that bad. I'm very excited to do so. I am going to be doing like six more podcasts in the next like five days with Alex. So he is really going to tire <laughs> me it's quick. True. So I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you something. Uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, better than Moon Knight. I mean. Okay. Sure. Disagree. I mean, having an ear infection is better than COVID, I guess. Hey guys, but I mean, like, summertime you know. better than a kick in the crotch. This is true. Mm. Uh, yeah. I would actually disagree with that. I'm actually really, really? for the fall. Yeah, I'd rather get kicked in the crotch once and sweat for like two months. Oof. Uh, so, so before we Filled get into hot takes today, uh, here we go. Before we get into all the hot takes, the thirst. And we're going to get some refreshments and we're going to listen to a couple words from some other podcasts you'll hear on the Pop Break Podcast Network. Those were awesome. And I always hate saying that because I don't know which ones Alex picked. Hello, I'm Daniel Cohen, former film editor of thepopbreak.com, and I've got a Batman podcast for you. We discuss Batman's past present and future and do a lot of rankings episodes yes we rank the movies villains but that's not all we even rank all the batman movie trailers throughout history yes we rank batman trailers i dare you to find another batman podcast that did that so join me and frequent hosts alex marcus and bill bakken as well as a plethora of bat guests as we discuss batman and plenty of dc on film as well also fair warning I'm a BBS fan, but don't let that scare you away. Trust me, I get mocked and ridiculed more than the Martha line for taking that stance. So relax and tune in on the last Tuesday of every month on the Pop Break Today feed.
Hey everyone, I'm Michelle. And I'm DJ. And we host Roses and Rejections, a podcast that talks about all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Each week we'll give you our insights into the delicious mess that is the Bachelor franchise. We also cover other reality shows and give you our hot takes on the good, bad, and all the in-between. Catch us every Wednesday during the Bachelor season. Or every other Wednesday while The Bachelor isn't airing. In the Pop Break TV feed, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Allie Nelson, and I love romantic thrillers. And I'm Tyler McCarthy, and I don't know much about romantic thrillers. Together, we host Not Couple Goals, where we discuss the best and, let's face it, worst in romantic thriller cinema. We cover classics like Wild Things and Cruel Intentions. And newer releases like The Boy Next Door and Deep Water. Sometimes it's just us. Other times we're joined by great guests, including some of your pop break favorites. So, if like me, romantic thrillers are your guilty pleasure, or you were raised on Lifetime movies like me, join us every other Thursday on the Pop Break Today feed. Because if they're mine, I feel like such a conceited jerk. Um, <laughs> not that I'm embarrassed of my podcast that I'm on. It's just I'm like, oh, my podcast is great. Uh, it feels weird. Uh, so, but you they know what does are great, Bill. So you should be proud of yourself. Uh, yeah. Your own advice. <laughs> it would be hilarious if at the top of the show you like had a breakdown about how you don't like socially distanced, <laughs> and then we just had to forge ahead. <laughs> That's that's Al, not me. So that's why it's not here. Uh, so let's get into something that isn't uh, that doesn't suck, and that is Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Or maybe for some people it does suck, which actually was released 34 years ago this weekend. That's right. It was a Memorial Day released. It made over 400 million dollars at the box office, which is if you extrapolate that out to today's cash, it's probably like 70 billion dollars suck it james cameron um so i don't know i just felt like saying that i think he needs to be taken down a peg every once in a while agreed uh, agreed yeah. i'm, I'm yeah. writing a new terminator movie shut up uh wow there's so much left to say <laughs> there, no, there but... really is we could dive into terminator right now but <sighs> terminator dark fate also not that bad Ooh, I'll actually, okay. I will actually agree with you on I didn't that. see it, so I'll be Switzerland. Which um, one is that even? <laughs> the most the recent one. one. Is, that, is that Matt Smith? The one that brings no. back, uh, what's her name? Linda the, Hamilton. Linda yeah, Hamilton. Yeah, Linda Hamilton. Okay. Yes. Okay. Which, one had, uh, which one had Amelia Clark in it? Is that also that was, the Matt Smith one? That, that, that was Terminator one. Genesis. Yes. Oh, with a Y, yeah. With that Matt one. Smith playing Skynet. Do you that see was, the terms uh, this 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 director <laughs> makes us speak in? Genesis, <laughs> The Last Fallen, Judgment Day. Screw you, James. I Cameron. mean, he I didn't mean, do he those was, other ones. <laughs> yeah, no, he was in a water yeah. tank filming Avatar when those movies were being made. <laughs> uh, half his cast had forgotten they were in it while this those films were being made. So, but let's get into Indiana Jones: The Last Crusade and where we first experienced this film. I can remember very clearly um seeing the posters for this in easy video off of inman avenue in edison new jersey it was the big movie everyone wanted to rent and by that i mean i ended up seeing it probably five or six years later when i was in grade school and it was like the cbs sunday night movie taped it and immediately fell in love with it obviously it was already a big harrison ford fan uh my dad was an og uh james bond uh, fan reading the books before they ever became movies um always on a boat to japan <laughs> with the marines and uh and so yeah this was everything i needed and more so 
Uh, as a kid, I fell in love with it instantaneously. So, Tyler, I want to know where you first went on your last crusade. Yeah. Um, funny story, actually. So I was in the sixth grade, uh, I think like the summer before sixth grade, however old uh, an American child is when that happens. I was 35. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um i i was familiar with indiana jones like because he's a cultural icon but i had not seen any of the movies and my father uh presumably worked very hard to save up to take my brother and i on a trip to disney world and we went to the indiana jones stunt show and i didn't know much about indiana jones but i sat in that audience as a kid mouth agape just loving every second of it the boulder the the the, the punching the uh the guys in the market i was so into it um like, like side story afterwards we went to like the gift shop and i tried to like like i went to buy the fedora and i think my brother made fun of me and i was like no no i don't actually want that but they had whips in the in the store and like my brother and i both like grabbed one and brought it to my dad and he brings it up to the counter and the lady behind the counter is like sir just so you're aware these aren't toys these are real whips that you're about to give your kids and he was like oh okay never mind then <laughs> but, uh, do, do you have one of those as placed tactically in your apartment in new york city <laughs> just in case there's a, an invasion of zombies no, even as a kid, when she was like, that's a real whip. I was like, oh, hell no. That's I, that's how I lose an eye. I'm I'm smart enough to know that I shouldn't own smart a whip. Boy. Smart boy. Uh, but so then after after we got home from our trip, um, you know, I asked my dad to take me to Blockbuster and just rented all three movies and just binged them in one fell swoop. I just wanted to be an Indiana Jones fan. And I spent the rest of that summer riding my bike around town, holding my helmet on like Indy holds his fedora on uh, just loving. It was like my summer of Indiana Jones. Allie, do you love your husband just a little bit more after hearing that story? Or is it just like, you're just like, you silly bastard. It's, well, it's not surprising, you little dork. Like, <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite couples. Ever. Allie, currently wearing her Letterman's jacket. I'm wearing a Buffy the Vampire t-shirt. <laughs> yes. So yeah, I can't really talk much. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't see a problem with that. Um, Allie, what was your first experience with Indiana Jones? Uh, well, last crusade, I should say. Well, it's so funny because I, I can't tell you my first time watching it because it, we owned this on VHS. So when we owned movies on VHS, that meant that we just played them all the time. So I can't remember the first time watching it because I must have been, I was really, really little, like maybe just a toddler when this came out. So it was probably just played in the background of my childhood for like up until I think my mom actually sat me down probably when I was about like 10 and was like, let's actually watch all three of the movies so that you understand what this movie is because you've only seen like pieces of it in the background since, uh, since you like could talk. Uh, so I think I was about 10 when we actually sat down and watched all of them. But at that point, it had already like absorbed into my consciousness. So I had like all of these different iconic scenes like where I was like, oh, now they have a place. But I really just like really remember growing up like with Indiana Jones, The Last Crusade specifically playing in the background as a child. So Amanda, I remember you said that your dad was a big part of Indiana Jones viewing for you. Is this the case with Last Crusade as well? so funny it's it was my mom this time because oh, well, we i was why. oh yeah well harrison and sean sean <laughs> primarily because my mom so. is a huge james bond fan so i have seen probably like i was probably born watching james bond because my mom loves the franchise so much and um so she i remember us going to blockbuster and she and going okay i'm gonna get this movie 
I mean, I have to get, I'm going to rent this movie. I'm going to watch it. My dad being surprised going, really? He didn't even watch the last two. And watched it, loved it. Um, just, I mean, you have the, the magic duo of Sean Connery and Harrison Ford. That was just sheer perfection. And I'm like, I want a cool dad. I love my dad. Don't get me wrong. Dad, don't take this wrong when you're listening. But Sean Connery as a dad is legit. I'm just, it's like, he's just the coolest dad. I'm like, everybody wanted a Sean Connery as a dad. It was great. And uh, Tyler, I totally went to the same stunt show. Yeah. As a kid, I remember yep. the boulder. Yeah, it was so great. It was so great. And yeah, we found out the whips were real too because I was gonna hit my sister with it. Oh, <laughs> no. she probably deserved it. I mean, she did, to be fair. She is gonna listen to this podcast. And sis, you did deserve it. But I love you. <laughs> but yes, my mom was the reason why we watched this one. I mean, my dad was gonna rent it anyway, but my mom was here for it because of Sean Connery. That sibling stuff doesn't go away. I remember no. my brother. I remember the lady saying like, these are real whips. And my brother and I both shared a look with each other. That was like, yes, our combat is not ready for this next level. So we are both going to put the whips back. I would have had the tactical advantage. I was like, why did you say anything? <laughs> I could have gotten one hit in there. Wow. There's some heat between you and your sister there. Oh boy. Uh Alex, you are the latecomer for this. Yeah, so I I watched this movie for the first. I remember it so clearly. It was all the way back April 8th, 2023. I know it's really crazy. I have such a good memory of it. Uh but yeah, no. I I never watched Indiana Jones growing up. I I was trying to think why this was not really on my radar. And the best that I could do is that I had some friends in like middle school who were kind of like 80s supremacists in very obnoxious <laughs> ways where they were like all the cool stuff came out in the 80s and like like metal and like Maybe. like Arnold Schwarzenegger right movies there. and Indiana Jones and like and I it was just always very obnoxious and I was like I don't want to deal with any of that so I guess I don't like any of that stuff <laughs> and so I just never was open to it for a really long time but I do remember well we'll talk about that in a minute but I so I never got there with Indiana Jones in theaters I never got there even renting it on DVD or VHS or anything like that um, but I did watch the original Raiders of the Lost Ark uh, during COVID with a couple of friends over like Netflix watch instant thing that yeah. they did and uh, that was a really cool experience. And during a time when I was like, oh, people in text, that's good enough. <laughs> so that was nice. And I and I found it to be a very fun movie. Um, and then I was like, yeah, I'll get around to watching the other ones eventually. And then, you know, three years went by, uh, like in the blink of an eye. <laughs> so uh, then when, you know, I knew that you guys were going to be covering it for the show and the new movie's coming out soon, I was like, I'm going to finally sit down. Also, it was expiring from Paramount. And uh, I didn't know if it was going to be coming on Disney, which now we do know that it's going to be on disney plus but so i was like i'm gonna do it now before i have to spend money and rent all these things and so i did last month and uh it was quite the experience i remember you told me you would never watch them i'm like you've seen everything how have you not seen these cultural institutions you're like dude just get off my ass <laughs> yeah i just like did those kind of like mass culture 80s like blind spots for me because i had annoying friends growing up i guess i'm gonna blame them entirely <laughs> <laughs> well, metal was much better in the 80s, in my opinion. So they were right somewhat there. Uh, uh, but listen, I get it. But let's 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 move along to uh, let's. Oh, how is how is this film, <laughs> Alex? I'm gonna. I don't know if I can ask you this question. Um, 
how's this film age for you in the months since you've seen it? Uh, <laughs> um, but it it's so, blossomed like a fine wine. Okay, well, here's what I'll ask you. You watched it a month ago. Yeah. Would you have you rewatched it since? And would you, or would you rewatch it? I haven't rewatched it in the last month, but I would definitely rewatch it eventually. I found it to be a very enjoyable experience. Um, and what I would say is, so I can't say if it has rewatchability value like my other guests can, but what I would encourage people who have recently watched The Fablemans, which is a, the most recent Steven Spielberg I movie, to watch that. go back and watch this movie after watching The Fablemans because you will realize that the performance that Paul Dano is giving as Steven Spielberg's dad in that movie is the exact same performance that Sean Connery is giving as Indy's dad in a way that is mind-blowing because you could never believe that Sean Connery and Paul Dano would give the same performance, <laughs> but they do because Steven Spielberg knew his dad and made both of those very different performers just become his father on screen, and I think that's a wild thing if you want to do a rewatch. That wow. is fascinating because sure. I I want to see this. So now it's now I'm like, well, now I have to see it. You yeah. Uh, for me, this has become it's weird. I associate certain movies with certain times of year. Maybe it's because this is when they're run and this is what they're going to do. I'm not saying if you watch this movie outside of this season, you are a sexual deviant or you're some <laughs> sort of pervert. Uh, what I am saying is I just always associate this film with Thanksgiving because mm. I feel like Paramount Network uh, for the last like five to ten years, or however long Paramount Network, actually even when it was Spike, it was on during Thanksgiving, and it was rerun constantly. And Showtime would do the same thing uh, in recent years. Um, so I always associate with this with Thanksgiving, and I, I, it's like my favorite eating holiday because, yeah. Uh, so that's why I kind of like it. it's this like wonderful chestnut of a like that I just associate with this time of year. But for me, this film has just grown into that movie that I turn on whenever it's on. It's the it's up there with like Point Break for me, where it's just like, wow, I have to just turn this on and watch it. And I think as being a dad, like watching some of the stuff, I'm just like, well, this is interesting. Maybe I should never do that. Uh, but it's also a matter of looking at the lens of my relationship with my dad, which is like, hey, this is, you know, I only talk about that every two weeks. So it's like, I feel like, that's an interesting way of looking at it. And then just kind of, I always find something fascinating about it. And I don't know why, but I always do. It's just like there's this new little nuance or new little just thing I see on like a side character doing that. Like, wow, that's really interesting. And then that's hard for a lot of films to do. Um, and especially um, especially from this decade, because it's just pretty much just like, it's a popcorn film, guys. We're not going to give you any more, more than that. Uh, so yeah, that's it's just become an all-time rewatched classic for and my wife and I will put it on anytime it's on. So Amanda, how about you? How is this aged for you? Is it did it age like our friend Harrison, like a fine scotch that people still thirst over at the Cannes International yeah. Film Festival? And he goes, "Yes, I am still hot." Thank you for asking. I know uh, he, he's acknowledged his genetic, you know, his genetic gifts, and yes, he, as he should, as he should. He's acknowledged yes. himself. Yes, we know. Yes. And you know, this movie for me is like Raiders. I really enjoy, I really enjoy it. I love this movie. Every time it comes on, it is aged not only as fine as Harrison Ford, but as fine as Sean Connery did. I'm just saying just the double, had the double little, little extra there, but yeah, it did. I mean, it's just the, the humor is still relevant. The performances are just iconic. And really, I feel like what I love about this film is the fact that Sean Connery elevates Harrison Ford. So in a lot of ways to me, 
I, as much as I loved him in Raiders, you add Sean Connery to the mix, who can hold, obviously you have these two, these two icons that are holding their own, but they complement each other so well. And I love the fact that they chose something, a, a, an, an item to go after, if you will, this quest on something that we've all are familiar with to some extent with the grail, you know, you know, whether you have in-depth knowledge of it or, you know, you've heard about it. It's something that people go, wait a minute. Yes. I know something of the grail and it's intriguing and it's, it's, it's just so yes, I still feel like it's very watchable even now. It's aged, but it's aged really, really well. And so keep serving me some more Harrison and some more Sean. I'm here for it. It's it's totally, totally aged well for me. So Allie, I mean, this literally is woven into your DNA. Um, so you know, has this has it kept it has it, you know, kept its like special place in your heart and in your soul since in that, you know, some odd year, decades later. <laughs> Well, actually, what's so funny is like this Sean Connery also was such a big deal in my household that my older brother's name is Sean after Sean Connery. So that's amazing. Yeah, nice. Literally after Sean Connery. Um, so definitely agree with the double whammy. I had, grew up loving Sean Connery, grew up absolutely loving Harrison Ford. I enjoy this movie every time I watch it and I've watched it dozens of times, except for there was one time in college where... I got really high and with two of my friends and then we watched this movie and uh, I remember it during that time being like, man, Indiana Jones is really being a whiny little bitch during this movie and just <laughs> really thinking he was very whiny and just being like, he's so much whinier than I thought he was like in this movie. I've never experienced that since watch, you know, like when I've watched it and I don't, don't smoke pot anymore. So like mm. I watched it today, Stone Cold Sober and was like, I don't remember. I don't know. He definitely gets like kind of whiny at his dad, like where there are a few moments of dad, but like, at the time, I remember thinking he was really, really whiny. That's just why I love having you and Tyler on because there's <laughs> missions of just random like points in your lives, and I'm just like, I'll, I'll never forget this. Um, uh, Tyler, um, I know you were sad that you did not beat the crap out of your brother with a whip, and that your your helmet was not a fedora. So has this aged well, and have you purchased? If you don't want to talk about the whip, I get it. But uh, a fedora since that day, because uh, I could, because I, I could see you saying yes. <laughs> uh, no, I I never owned a whip. To this day, I still am like, no, I'm not a person who should own a whip. I'm sure my wife would agree. Like that's how I, I hurt my. Well, that's I, not. I don't. I was about to say we need to get Allie a fedora. I'm like, I, so that... she can be with there with the zombie apocalypse. Indiana right. Jones style with the hat <laughs> cracking the whip. That, now, now that, the thirst is now coming to Tyler's side. So he's like, yes, this is a wonderful idea. Yeah, I'm uh, listening. <laughs> he's like, okay. <laughs> uh, God. Oh, fuck. Uh, what is going on? No, this movie definitely uh, ages well. For me, it gets better uh, every single time I watch yeah. it. Because like confession time, we're all friends here. Close the door. Uh, the first time I watched this movie... <laughs> You also have um, a lot of weird admissions of when you've watched movies too. So I, I listened to your Cruel Intentions episode. 
Buddy, <laughs> buddy, you got some explaining to do. No, I don't. Oh, I'm, I'm the first one who had a sexual awakening during Cruel Intentions. No, you're not. You just happen to have a podcast on our network about it. Um, no, the first time I watched, uh, like I mentioned, I binge watched all of them. Right. And I like was a kid, so I didn't really like this movie as much as the others. I actually liked oh, okay. Temple of Doom because things like racism went clear over my head. Things like the silliness and the uh, like lead actresses, like uh, annoying, like character went clear over my head. I was just like, yeah, that's the one where he punches an entire army in the end, right? <laughs> like, that's awesome. Yeah. So this one was just like, oh, it's the one where he's got daddy issues. Yeah, it's all right. Uh, then obviously I grew up and, you know, started looking at movies a little more critically and because I was coming from a place of this being my least favorite sequel, every time I watch it, and I've seen it maybe four or five times at this point, it's just, it's that much better every single time. It Everything about it just works. It's funny, Bill, that you mentioned that it's, you equate it with Thanksgiving because it's like, it's a great, like, throw it on for the family. It does a really yeah. great job of being a family-friendly movie without being a kid's movie. Um and yeah, just everything, the relationship, what you learn about Indiana as a character, as a man, like really helps set up, um, not set up Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, but it helps no. you, it, it it informs a lot of the material that came before and I guess presumably after. Mm. Um, but it, it really is just, to the, I will say now it is my favorite of the sequels, which admittedly is a low bar, but it's still vaulted. It is still, it vaults it to the degree of just being a good movie. So uh, yeah, hundred percent would rewatch this again. And it's the best of the sequels. We, um, one thing that happens, someone, I saw this on Twitter where they're talking about this, the, the opening scene where we have young Indiana Jones played by the late river Phoenix, not to be confused with the young Indiana Jones Chronicles starring Sean Pla Patrick Flannery of Boondock Saints fame, which is also going to be on Disney Plus starting on May 31st. Um, Boondock Saints is coming to Disney Plus? <laughs> oh, Boondock like, Saints? What? Brother. It and, is? But Boondock Saints too? They're like, mm-mm, not having you. Uh, That's, I, I honestly thought like, you mm -mm. were saying Boondock Saints until I, Alex I made a joke about it. I was like, wait. No, no, no. Sean Patrick Flannery of Boondock Saints fame yes. starred in the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, yes. which is also going to Disney Plus on May 31st. Okay. Bob Iger. Just hire us at this point. Exactly. exactly. We're going to put hire we us talk because your we shit all the time. Phone. Because we're it, affordable, Alex. That's why. Why pay for something that you can get for free, Bill? Because we can get us better production value. <laughs> uh, so here's, uh, here's what you start doing, Bill. You turn. Every episode, you just start shit-talking Disney, so they pay to get you back on their side. All right. I'll see what Good I can point. do. That's Good point. Good point. It's be the only podcast on the internet that complains about Disney. <laughs> 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 oh, <laughs> uh, so uh, shit. anyway, uh, so there's uh, people on. Uh, we're talking about the River Phoenix scene where we discover a lot of this uh, stuff about Indiana Jones, where he gets the hat, where he gets the jacket, how he gets the scar in his chin, uh, his fear of snakes. Uh, some people said that uh, that if this scene were done today, it would feel very tired and terrible because how many times have you seen the explanation of things? past how did you guys feel about this scene when you saw it, where they were just like here's how all this stuff ha happened did it feel too on the nose and wink wink or was it like oh hey this is this is kind of clever because i'm in the kind of clever uh camp because can i go first on this question oh well i already went 
So, um, yeah, as soon as I go second, Alex. <laughs> okay, so I want to talk about this because, you know, it's it's very uh, noticeable to me that all of the stuff that happens in this opening sequence also is what happens to another famous Harrison Ford character in the movie Solo, where you learn about the origin of every single piece of iconography around Han Solo, even things that you never knew were things. name. Exactly. And that is stretched out across a whole movie. And it's not the only thing that's happening in that movie, but like every like 30 minutes or so you find out like, oh, that's where he got his jacket. And it's like, nobody ever gave a shit where he got his jacket from. Mm -hmm. Nobody was spending 40 years being like, oh man, I wonder the story behind how he got that nickname. Like, it's so dumb. Here though, they do it so well because number one, it's contained to a prologue, right? Which is merciful. And number two, it's all done with like a wink and a nod. It's like, it's all kind of like silly and fun. And so you can kind of go with it that you're getting like, oh, he hates snakes because of this. And it, because it's so light and fun. And like, it's, you're kind of like winking to the audience instead of in Solo where they're taking it so seriously. Like finally fans can find out where he got the dice from. <laughs> like nobody cares. This is why he parts his hair this way. And you're like, oh, exactly. okay. Yeah. So that's why he calls him Chewy. Like nobody ever needed to, it's his name is Chewbacca, so he calls him Chewy. We don't need an origin story for that. Yeah. He likes to eat a lot. That's why. <laughs> but it's it shows that you can do the exact same fan servicey nonsense, but with like a lightness and like a wink to the audience, and it makes it fun instead of tired and terrible. Okay, Allie, I want I want to hear from you next on this. Um, I never really, it didn't bother me as a kid. As an adult, there is like a bridge too far for it to be like the origin of the snakes and the whip and the hat. And And the scar. Yeah, and the scar. That's the one I appreciate the most because it's like, we've never discussed that. It's just a Harrison Ford thing. And like, presumably the, this belongs in museum sort of like, like idea that he has that he's sort of pursued his whole life. I do think maybe they could have left like, maybe the whip out and I wouldn't think it's like as sort of dorky because it's like it goes in such a quick succession of like now he has a fear of snakes and then he rolls into a new booth on the train now he has a whip and it's like okay like this train was very formative for him apparently (laughs) each new car there's a new thing that's going to just stay with him for life I do think it gets a little dorky in that sense I think if they had just left maybe the whip out that the snakes and the the hat I think could have been enough for me Amanda you know, I if if this had taken place in the first film, I probably would feel the same way. But I as Ali, but I, I feel like because we're in the third movie, this and I, I like like Alex said, I love the way it's and it's lighthearted, it's funny. And of course we have the the late great River Phoenix um doing this, who I thought that was a really good touch, very yeah. smart choice as well. Cause I think if you had picked a different, a different young actor maybe might not have worked as well. So River Phoenix, I think it should get a lot of credit for that. Tyler, how about you? What do you think about uh, this scene? Yeah, I'm, 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 I kind of agree with a little bit of Alex and a little bit of Ali. I definitely think, yeah, it, it was a too formative a train. He he uh, unco- he gets so much of his iconic uh, uh, iconography and like character traits in presumably the span of like 10 minutes, like one very formative day for him. It's a little goofy, but to Alex's point, yeah, it's like fun goofy. It's a wink to the audience kind of goofy that I can get behind. And the scene itself is very thrilling. Uh, My biggest gripe, I think, is I don't like that 
he we learn essentially that he ripped off his iconic look from just some other dude. I think that was a little much like make that guy wear a fedora and that's how he gets the fedora sure, but he doesn't have to have like every other piece of Indiana Jones garb. Like then you look at Indiana Jones and it's like, that's not Indiana Jones outfit. That's this asshole named Fedora in the credits. <laughs> but I did learn in reading a little bit of the trivia though, that he was originally intended to be Abner Ravenwood. Yeah. And that I like, that is really cool. Uh, for those who don't know, Abner Ravenwood, Marion's father, uh, Indiana's mentor. Uh, and like, th- if this was the story of how he, met that guy and got into this life that's one thing but instead it's just like eh, some asshole really screwed me out of a cross one day so i modeled my entire life after him well but if it, if it's abner ravenwood then it it makes marion have severe daddy issues to fall in love well, with. i mean yeah <laughs> but Listen, like to fall wow. in love with indiana jones who is that who is a carbon copy of your dad it would be a little bit too disgusting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's almost like that relationship would be too fucked up with that happening. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying there's an extra layer if he. Yeah, also... the whole age difference thing. But <laughs> no. But I agree. But the one thing is also, it's like I think doesn't get brought up enough is he holds this grudge so much that he murders a boat full of dudes who have the cross. Like they're working for the guy in the white suit and the boat explodes. Those guys all die because Indiana Jones needs to put this cross in a museum. That is some <laughs> bad shit insanity. That's um, a commitment to your ideals that we can all respect. There, There is a great, like at this point it is the third movie. And like we as the audience are pretty desensitized to Indy, just straight up ghosting dudes. And I love that there's a moment where he like, helps his dad escape by mowing down three Nazis. And his dad is like, what, what did you do? He's like horrified by it. I it's was like, like that's old hat that's a great touch. Yeah. Uh, let's start. Like, this isn't a question I had on a sheet, but let's talk about um, the, uh, let's jump to the snakes. It had to be snakes. Like the worst part of this film for you guys, because generally we all kind of like it, but it's like, what is like something in here that just like, ah, this part for me it's the whole beginning uh, in Venice where he meets um, uh, Elsa and they go, they're flirting. He's like, but I'll give you a flower, but it'll be sad because I'll buy uh, because it'll be dead, but I'll buy it tomorrow. But tomorrow I'll want this. I'm like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> I'm like I'm done home Elliot in that scene where I'm just like, would you two just either get a room and do it or shut up because we have to find Sean Connery right now. And it's just so ridiculous. And it feels the chemistry between them is just so wooden in that scene. No pun intended about anything because I just realized what I said. Uh, and I was just <laughs> like, it's so just like bland. And I'm just like, it's not there, guys. Stop trying to make it happen. And it just kind of takes me out of the movie for a bit because it's just so like, oh, this is so weird. But uh, that's about it. And that 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 scene is about two minutes. I'll, so I'll, that, ju- I'll jump in too, just to build off that too. Their whole romance, like- after they get out of the catacombs and she finds the rooms ransacked and he like forces a kiss on her after being pretty like cringily misogynist. The whole, the whole scene is just very like, to your point, you're spending the whole time being like, let's, let's go ahead and get past this one. Like there's a castle coming up. I know Sean Connery will be there. Let's go ahead and get to that because I don't need to watch her like nibbling on his ear because she just can't resist the guy who gave her a flower yesterday like but it's all it's all set up though and she's playing him which i think is really fun and i think that once you know that you look back at those scenes and it actually kind of like makes them more fun 
Yeah. No, no, no. I've seen no. this movie like 30 times and I just it just doesn't <laughs> work for me. She <laughs> so, like she's playing him, but like she's also full on having sex with him. Like well, playing him. I mean that does yeah, happen. Like, he she's feeding into his ego and like he's not good at this anymore like he thinks he is but she's letting him think that he is and then it like is all set up for that big reveal like in the castle where i think it's pretty where he's so confident that she has fallen in love with him and she's like i don't care about you at all <laughs> and his dad is right and it's so annoying that his dad is right but of course his dad's right Allie, what doesn't work for you I'll actually agree. I, my least favorite is the non-consensual force of the kiss. Cause it's one thing for her to be playing him, but it's another for him to grab and just plant one on her without her consent. And with her literally being like, how dare you do this when I was younger and I saw it, that was like still allowed. And so you'd be like, Oh, it's like such a charming thing. How then she then kisses him forcibly. But then you like go through and you watch all of these Harrison Ford movies. And there's like the same thing in Blade Runner where he like, really forces himself on Sean Young and she doesn't want it either. And you have to be like, okay, those only work because Harrison Ford is so like dreamy. It does not work <laughs> if you like look at it like in a post Me Too world like we are now and it's pretty gross. So that was like also my least favorite. I don't like how it works. I do think it's cute the way that he has the sort of runner of Ah Venice. Uh, but other than that, I don't like the the way that it begins. It's pretty gross. <laughs> It is a Sean Connery movie, though. And so a Sean Connery <laughs> movie, you need to have a forcible kiss. That makes you feel gross. <laughs> that is a salient point. Yeah, we all yeah. saw Entrapment with Catherine Zeta-Jones and how that went. Uh, oh, no, that was just me. 1999. Uh, <laughs> Alex, what does it work for you in this movie, especially since you're the, uh, most, the most new to this film? Yeah, okay, so it's kind of funny that I'm defending the like the parts that you guys are complaining about with the love interest, because actually, the part that I don't like about this movie is that at the end of the film, you find out, actually, she does love him after all. Yes. Um, and that I hate, yeah. because it's like, it was so fun, the reveal, like I just said, that it's like, oh no, she her, his charms don't work on her. And then for the movie to kind of like, you know, lose its nerve and be like, all right, fine. The the girl does like Harrison Ford after all. It's like, come on, just like commit to it. She's going to kill herself over the friggin' grail anyway. You don't need her to love him for the last two minutes of the movie. So that's my <laughs> least favorite. I never read it that way. I read it as she was still trying to play on, play him. Like, oh, no, no, really, I'm on your side. Because in the end, she's just going to end up taking the grail for herself. I think, I think yeah. at the, like, I think by that point in the movie, it's like, they establish that no she really does care about him yeah but her oh, like yeah. greed and her like compulsion for the grail is overwhelms her love for him which is just a beat that i don't think the movie needs at all like she could just want the grail at the end it, of the day it also kind of drove me nuts that she was like her she was a full-on nazi like she's at the book burning and everything <laughs> yeah. and their way of like redeeming her a little is like oh no 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 the whole nazi thing was just a means to an end for her to get the grail like yeah. the ultimate villain who like melts from drinking the wrong cup as well. Like you can't yeah. use Nazis as a means to an end. You just can't. It's, she, she's just like the Red Skull in Captain America. He she, yeah. he doesn't really care about the Nazis. He just wants the trinkets that give him superpowers. Uh, technically, but, the guy is more like the Red Skull because we literally see a skull full of blood. But that's just what I'm saying. And of course, cosmetic similarities he in, only. He was in Game of Thrones too, where he's also a piece of shit. Uh, so listen. Amanda, we're back. Uh, what was your least favorite part of uh, Last Crusade? Hopefully. Does that sound any better? 
much better. Way better. Much better. Oh, much yeah. better. Yay. Okay. I'm back, guys. I'm back. Internet provider, I am dropping you. I'm not going to name who it is just in case they're a, sp- they're a sponsor and they're listening. But you, may, but you rhyme with Flumflask. <laughs> uh, but, but you rhyme with a, well, I'm just going to say A-T. There we go. Oh, <laughs> Comcast is a yeah. wonderful company that uh, everyone should. <laughs> I love people um, down here. Are you kidding but, uh, me, Bill? <laughs> I said Flumflast. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, my least favorite part, I'm with everybody. I, I just didn't, I just wasn't feeling anything with, with Elsa and Harrison. I mean, yes, she's playing him, but it's Harrison Ford. How do you not, well, there have been some people who haven't had chemistry with Harrison Ford. That's hard to do, but some people have done it. And it's like, and and I just, I just wasn't for it. I was, he just, Indy just has the worst luck with women that are not marrying. So... <laughs> Um, yeah, he doesn't think, have great luck with her either. Yeah, yeah this is true. <laughs> but uh, but at least their in-person chemistry was much better than the, the than the time. other than the other films in a way. Like he has not had any luck with any of the the, the female love interests in any of the other movies, except for Mary. And even though they don't stick together the first time, you know. But at least their chemistry was believable. A bit, mm. a bit. And we've talked about it last week. Uh, there was a little, some odd moments, but. Just because I guess it's, it's it's Harrison Ford, he can get away <laughs> with some things that were like, ooh. But I'm with everybody on that. That was my least my least favorite part was just their their dynamic just wasn't hitting it for me. Sean Connery, we got to talk about just a little bit. This is a very much the out of character role for Sean Connery, the the, the bravado fueled man, the oozing machismo, as Razor Ramon so wonderfully said in 1992 to 1996 WWF. He's bald. He's not wearing his trademark toupee. Uh, that's why he had a flat top for uh, most of the 80s and 90s, guys. That was not his hair. Uh, and he's just kind of just playing a dweeb. Uh, I say this because I wonder, is this one of Connery's most iconic performances? Obviously, we'll say James Bond. But would you even put that over James Bond? Because acting. <laughs> so what do you guys think? I'm going to, Ali, I'm going to go with you since your brother is literally named after the guy. I think what I really appreciate about this performance is like, you know, I really, I Sean Connery is obviously like a dicey person when you see like he's okay with slapping women and stuff. But as an actor, it's hard to beat. He's really charismatic. He's very fun to watch. Like, I, I love the Untouchables. I think, you know, fantastic performance there. I love him as James Bond. And I think what I love about him specifically in this role is like, he doesn't really have the permission to be funny in a lot of his other movies. But in this one, I think he's genuinely very funny. Yeah. And that I think is very refreshing. I love when somebody's willing to like play against type and to like make themselves fumbling and stuff. So to see him go from like James Bond where like he could MacGyver things and he was always just on point to see him like he's never on point like in this movie he's like constantly dropping the gun or like accidentally like setting things on fire um the only thing he really does right is like sets the birds at like the plane and downs that plane he does that he, really well he remembered his Charlemagne. exactly mm-hmm. so i really enjoy him i think it, it is one of my favorite performances from him definitely Alex, I would love to, I don't know if you've watched a lot of James Bond. I don't know how much of Sean Connery's filmography you've watched. So I'm curious to see what you think of his performance, where it stands in his career. 
so like I don't think that we can call this an iconic Sean Connery performance because it is subverting the iconic performance of Sean Connery right so I think because of that it's like you can't call it iconic but I think that it does an expert job of subverting the career persona on screen that Sean Connery movie star has had up until this point, right? We have like over two decades of, by the time this movie comes out of Sean Connery being this kind of like macho, like take no prisoners, act first, ask permission later for good and for bad. (laughs) Um, And here he is this kind of like quiet, nebishy sort of like, I just need, I have my diary and my book and oh my goodness, I'm scandalized by the violence. And it's very silly. And he plays the comedy beats of that good. And also it is believable that he could have been this kind of like imposing figure in Indiana Jones's life, this man who casts this shadow of respectability and knowledge that is so wide and so vast that it swallows someone like Harrison Ford up, you know, like you really have to be careful with how you cast that role for it to be believable that Harrison Ford would feel intimidated and like in the shadow of this person there's very few people on screen who could believably play that role and i think sean connery is like first on the call sheet for that even though it's subverting his screen persona at the same time tyler um yeah i 100 percent agree with alex i think if it were up to me and i were casting the uh henry jones senior role and i'm thinking okay so who raised indiana jones i'm reaching for actors who are more rogue like i can't think of any names off the top of my head but uh, I think it's so smart. Wallace Shawn maybe could have been maybe. another one. Wallace Shawn would have been cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is where Danny DeVito fits in. Nice, Sala. <laughs> Danny DeVito can fit into a lot of places, as we know. Yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> we shouldn't talk like that. He may be in the room. Um, I'd be awesome. <laughs> that would be. I Jersey Mike's for dinner. It's great. So let's go. But it's but that like it's so brilliant because Sean Connery, he does have this, he does have such a presence. He does have an intelligence, a suaveness that you could see being very intimidating to a child. And so when you think like, okay, well, who raised Indiana Jones, a man who just will not be intimidated, will not be deterred, uh, will not be stopped, will not be told something's impossible. Uh, you know, a guy like uh, his portrayal of Henry Jones. So I thought this was really iconic for him as for whether or not it's his most iconic role. I don't think we can say that just because it's a supporting role. Uh, and when you, you know, look at the Indiana Jones franchise, he's a major cog in it, but he's not one of the first three names you'd throw out there as like icons of the series. Um, but it's certainly great to see him play against that type like alex was saying and it's i think so brilliantly written and performed uh i buy that indiana jones is the son of a man like this and that this infers everything that we know to be jones today i i think it's um i think it's probably his number two because you always have to put bond because bond was the more of the cultural icon but i put this at number two because even though he won the oscar for the untouchables I, I don't feel like he and, and he's good in other stuff. He's funny in Highlander. He's able to be charming and charismatic as as whatever the hell his name was. I totally forgot the Spaniard. Um, Ramirez. I can't believe you watched Highlander. Sorry. <laughs> that feels like I, a movie. I, 
I just have his like... IMDb up on my on my computer. Oh, oh okay. All right. <laughs> oh, I was like, Alex, you watch Highlander? I no, guess. absolutely I, not. I was just I was like, what did you think here? of the fabulous Freebirds cameo in the beginning? <laughs> nope. Uh, but, I loved it. Ah, uh, thank it. you. Thank you. Because we both live on Bad Street, USA. Bad Street in the yeah. entire. Yes, um, but anyway, I look at this, it's like the first time, it's like, I've seen a lot of Connery movies, and it's like, how often do you see Sean Connery, like, break down in tears? Like he's so upset his son dies and it's like, so, and you believe it. It's just like, you're acting Sean because for so long he became like what a lot of action stars became. It's just like, he's just Arnold Schwarzenegger in this movie. He's Bruce Willis in this movie. He is this person in this movie. And that's what Sean Connery was. He's Sean Connery as a knight. He is Sean Connery in this movie. Like he did as a dragon. As, a, yes. dude, yes, come on. he was just a dragon. He was like, well, if Sean Connery were a dragon, he'd be that, you know. And you know who's in it? Dennis Quaid. What that, a that's a yeah. that's a reference what to a pre-pied combo, Bill. <laughs> what a whore. Okay. Uh, so anyway, and that's a joke only five, four or five people are going to get. If you don't get that joke because you weren't part of the pre-podcast convo, you can go fuck yourself. We're having fun here. <laughs> Jesus, Tyler, I love it. My uh, drop. Bam. And so, I don't care about the listener. <laughs> Amanda, please just take over. Because <laughs> I can't. Your, um, uh, your thoughts on this, this role in Sean Connery's filmography. Um, you know, I loved it because it, you really get a chance to see Sean showcase his other acting skills. And I mean, to be fair, who could be, who has, you have to have somebody raising Indiana Jones, who not only, of course, shows vulnerability, who who shows kind of just, he's like the cutest nerd. And I love it. I feel like you're like hot dad nerd, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. But I, I mean, it. who better? <laughs> who better than than somebody who because you know indiana jones very masculine very manly james bond you're bringing in james bond you're bringing in like the manliest of the bonds to basically outman show indiana jones here you know what you're, you're sexy because your dad is kind of sexy too it's like a hot nerd you know kind of hot baby guy um but just you really good chance going for the rest of the podcast now. <laughs> <laughs> just see what your thoughts but, keep going and i'm like well um but Look. really just just you get a lot of you get a lot of dimension from him in this role and I, I feel like it's not his most iconic because obviously James Bond is what put him on the map I think like a young Sean Connery way back in the day Ooh, yeah um, but at the same but at the same time I really feel like this role revitalized his career in a lot of ways because it put him back on the map for people maybe who were not as familiar with the Bond franchise or maybe you know we were already into several other Bonds at this point so it's it's you know it kind of put him back in the forefront and of course then you started seeing him like in The Rock and Highlander and you know of course obviously being a dragon <laughs> I mean you don't really get the uh, you don't really get the range as much anymore but did he really need to though I mean he's Sean Connery so people were like this is Sean Connery this is what this is what like the greatest James Bond and here he is with like one of the greatest action heroes of the eighties. So he's back on the map. He's getting all these good, great roles. And I think it just, it just relaunched his career and put him in it and it just reintroduced him to a new generation who again, you know, we, who now they can go back and watch James Bond. Now they can go back and get a little bit more range watching him in this role, but you know, we put him back on the map. We got more Sean Connery. We got the rock. We got Sean Connery as a, you know, as King Arthur. We got him as a dragon, oh. so and we got him trying to be sexy with Catherine Zeta Jones. Jones. Yep, and he was on. <laughs> I saw that movie. I saw that movie, and I saw that movie. 
Yeah. He's also, he also an elite extraordinary gentleman. How can we forget that? Exactly. He'll always exactly. he'll always be you the man now, dog, to me. You're the man now, dog. Yeah. We know. <laughs> and, and, and we also got celebrity Jeopardy parodies. You're welcome, yes. everybody. hundred <laughs> percent. We but got that now. You you do need to have somebody where Elsa can sleep with him and you're not vomiting the rest of the movie. And I think you can really only do that with Sean Connery like this of that true. age. <laughs> this is true. There's nobody else because Sean Connery is always going to have that little that that sexy vibe going. Yeah, we're well, going to like, okay, day. okay, I buy it. I buy you do that. <laughs> and I mean, Harrison Ford has the same vibe. So there you go. Like you had to have two people with the same vibe. They don't quite explain. I get why she slept with Indiana. I they, they don't fully explain why why she slept because it seems it's like same reason. It's Sean Connery. <laughs> That's well, what it, I mean. It, like it's Sean she, Connery. She must. Alex, are you now thirsting for the Joneses? What's no, happening? No, I mean he's not. No, they're not <laughs> my type. Uh, 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 you're more of a Mutt Williams guy. You know, he was Ew. captured by men oh, with a gun. No, no. <laughs> you're a more of a what Williams guy? But her. If Mutt Williams. Mutt Williams. No, shut up. Oh, my God. Oh, get off this oh. podcast, you hey, son of a he's, bitch. He's still a Henry Jones, actually, so. That's uh, true. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's, yeah. He's, he's, he's something, all right? Uh, he's a shit. Uh, but anyway. He's swinging with monkeys right now yeah, but, as we speak. But oh Elsa God. sleeps with him because she, like, that's an automatic way to get somebody to kind of, like, bond with you and be on your side and trust you is if you yeah. slept bond with, with I, get, I get all that. Yeah. But what my question is, when we meet, henry jones senior he is a captive at gunpoint so like what luring did she do it seemed like he was just like captured i think that's plan b you know plan a was i'm gonna sleep with you and steal your diary you cool sexy man and then uh i was reading it as just i was reading it as just she she slept with him because and john connery just for funsies i think she's now you have to question did she sleep with indiana for funsies because it's like Father, son, not many people can say that. These uh, are the questions. Off of this topic, <laughs> this listen, uh, listen, <laughs> listen, we're keeping it okay for now. But let's let's get to another question when it comes to uh, God. It, <laughs> we're coming back to it because you brought up his son and how you, you were jonesing for that dork. <laughs> and so, was it the leather cap and the motorcycle, or was it the switchblade? There'll knows? be time for a bill. There'll be it, time. It, was, it, was it the daddy <laughs> It was definitely the daddy-o. <laughs> Motherfucker. Uh, so anyway, we talked uh, last episode how Raiders of the Lost Ark is ranked within the AFI top 100 films of all time. But so many people love Last Crusade. So I'm going like, so to bring Sophie into this. It's Sophie's Choice time. Uh, who, which is the better, in your opinion, Indiana Jones film? Raiders of the Lost Ark, Last Crusade, and why? I'm going to say, I know Last uh, the Raiders laid the groundwork for everything we know about Indiana Jones. It's on this list. But to me, it's Last Crusade. And Last Crusade is the movie because, one, you have this great dynamic with Sean Connery. We've just explained this. And it's this wonderful story of a father and a son. It's great. It runs all the emotion. It's played wonderfully for comedy, wonderful for drama. And you get a great happy ending. Um, you have... Amazing. Also got a couple happy endings out of it, I think. Alex Marcus, don't freaking tip your waitress or waiter. Uh, and, Brilliant. Oh, God damn it, he beat me to it. Uh, <laughs> you set me up. I mean, come I, on. I know, I know. 
But uh, you also have, I think, wonderful action sequences, everything with the tank, the boat scene, the boat race scene between the two, uh, between the two ships that are being pushed together by tugboats. It's amazing. Great set work. Um, and quite frankly, it's just overall, I think, just a better constructed film. And I just can watch this. I've watched it a million times and I'll continue to. Whereas Raiders, I feel like I have to be in the mood to watch it. Um, and I think still very good, but it, this built off of what you do. And how many times have we seen a third movie just be complete, just like, okay, we're done. This isn't good. We're burnt out. We'll get to that in the fourth movie. Um, and we're just like, this was, this was not that. So Amanda, Raiders versus Last Crusade, where do you stand? I gotta go. It's it was neck and neck, but Last Crusade. Just because again, you 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 brought it up, the Sean Connery factor. The Sean Connery factor is the big thing, and I, I feel like you know Spielberg elevated. Like he look, he took at he took the criticism he got from Temple of Doom, but then he just is like, I'm gonna do what works with Raiders and just elevate it. You know, I mean, it was really well written. I'm a history nerd, so I was here like kind of like into mythology and stuff like that. So the the portrayal of of how the Grail could be. Um, you know, it's not just something that's like, oh, I get eternal life and drink it from it. It's totally fine. Just the harm or the like the kind of the, you know, like what happens to the, the bad villain by drinking out of the wrong grail. I mean, that's just little things, little nuances like that make the movie so interesting. Um, so, and again, I loved the humor. I loved, you know, the dynamic, just the big thing is the dynamic with Sean and, and Indy. It's just, it's so well done. It's fun. Um, and just, who doesn't like to see Nazis get taken down? I mean, it's, it's, to me, I, I watch it and I watch it more than I do Raiders, even though I enjoy Raiders. I love Raiders. It's great. It's just, I need a little bit more humor in my life. And that's where Sean Connery comes in and those couple of happy endings. Cause Alex just killed me with that. <laughs> <laughs> Tyler, uh, the question is to you now. This is, I mean, it's really, really hard. Um, Cause you know, on the one hand, I think, I think what makes it so hard is that Unlike uh, Temple of Doom, and we'll talk about Crystal Skull, this Raiders and Last Crusade, they're very tight stories. They're very, like, they're not like giant world-spanning set-piece-to-set-piece adventures. Like, obviously, yes, they are set-piece-to-set-piece, but they're tight stories. They go from this place because of that. They go to this place because of that. They're at, like, the final, like, climactic boss. And, like... Everything that happens in between is character building, adventure. They're just really good, solid, tight stories, and they're not overstuffed. Um, I'm inclined to give just the slightest edge to Raiders of the Lost Ark because it had to risk a little bit more. And what I mean by that is they had to do certain things like establish this world. Um, and more to the point in Raiders of the Lost Ark, there's that climactic scene where they open the Ark of the Covenant and both all of our characters and the audience are like, oh, holy shit, magic is indeed real. These powers are indeed real. And when you get uh, Last Crusade and you hear Henry Sr. talking about faith and needing this, that, and the other thing, and then when they get to the final set piece of the Which grail, matters. yes, like magic is 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 present it is a force and you as the audience and indiana at that time are like yeah this stuff that par for the course he should be taking this seriously right whereas raiders had that that shock value that thing that you know we now think of as iconic but when they're making it it's like this could be a risk do we want to go magic in our final three minutes um so i think for that reason i'm going to give it ever so slightly to raiders but if you see me in public and accost me on this position i might be willing to back down immediately because it's they're neck and neck 
Please don't accost Tyler in public. <laughs> uh, uh, he's the magical lad, and let's just keep him safe. Uh, Allie, I mean, you could accost him. That's fine. Yes, that, whatever happens. Um, that's true. And she uh, does. <laughs> so many things. So I. Oh, it ends so there's always a podcast <laughs> and in the history. So Allie, your question is to you now. It always has a happy ending. Okay, good. Go ahead. Uh, excuse you. <laughs> wow. She's just like, we're shutting that down. And, and Narratively. So you guys definitely need freaks. the fedora. We're going to get you guys a fedora. Um, so I don't know how I feel about I, that. I've flip-flopped about this my whole life, basically, okay. where sometimes it's uh, Raiders, sometimes it's Last Crusade. A lot of the time I fall on Last Crusade, and I think it shows how strong Last Crusade is that you even are having this debate with like the third movie versus the first movie of franchise. Right now, like in the way where I am in my life, I would also give it to Raiders. I think the action sequences are a little bit better in Raiders and I have more fun watching them like the fight sequences um the discovery of uh, you know different areas and different clues I find but I think like the biggest thing for me is Marion I love her introduction I think that that is such a cool introduction for your your sole female character for this uh movie and and really the sole great female character for the franchise has a fantastic introduction. And I like that she reuses the drinking game later on, like where she she finds her way out of the situation by you know drinking with the bad guy and again, beating him in a drinking game. And I think that's fantastic. And there's really just not a, another good female character in the entire franchise. As a woman watching it, you really like, you're like, wow, there is one woman in this cast and like there's one woman in every other movie. And so for, for that reason, I'll definitely give it to Raiders. Alex, I would, lo- since you're the newbie and you love happy endings, I would love to know <laughs> your thoughts. So I've, I've sat with these movies for about six weeks and I feel like I could really say definitively, uh, no, but I think, you know, there was this old episode of Lost called All the Best Cowboys Have Daddy Issues. And I think that could also be the name of this movie, uh, because Indiana Jones is a cowboy at heart, right? And his, his, paternal daddy issues are front and center in this film and i think they add this level of emotional depth to the film that none of the other films have for me uh certainly it's not good for female representation i will definitely agree on that front (laughs) but um as someone with daddy issues proudly i'll say that i just felt that personal connection to this film and i think that it just has that little bit of an edge because it's not just the fun genre thrills. It's not just the set pieces. It really feels like you're seeing an an emotional arc for Indy. And also you're getting to see Harrison Ford kind of like on his back foot, like not feeling in command of the the situation because he is intimidated by his dad. And he's trying to like show off that he is in command of his element, but also the Indiana Jones thing is like improvising on the fly. So he's never in command of his element until he is. And so adding that layer of his dad looking over his shoulder just brings a lot of more stakes to those scenes in a way that adds emotional complexity and those actors both bring that so compellingly so i definitely think that's what gives it the edge for me right so last crusade in this 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 debate is our winner so let's move on to a movie that is definitely a movie and that is (laughs) indiana jones and the kingdom of the crystal skull (laughs) <laughs> do we so, have to well <laughs> we are completists here uh so 
let's talk about like I you know since this movie is fairly recent I believe let's it's except for Alex did we all see this, this movie, movie is 15 years old <laughs> it's good <more> lord recent. <laughs> oh god 15 years old already uh, yeah. did did everyone see, outside of Alex see this in theaters yes yes, yes. okay so let's talk about our expectation for this movie instead of our ex- what we experienced because you could tell by that fra- that answer alone yeah it wasn't good so what were your guys expectations like your hype level going into kingdom of the crystal skull for me it was extremely high because i i was like it's harrison ford is back uh correct me if i was james mangold was directing this one or is it no spielberg? steven spielberg, spielberg. Came back. Oh, mangold's Luke. this mangold's, yeah, this, mangold's one. this one sorry yeah, yeah. um yeah it, him back with spielberg you added Kate blanchett as the villain marion was coming back and he has a son so i'm like wow they've really loaded this 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 film up and listen if we can make it the everything work with him having a dad it can work with him being, you know, the role reverse, and he's the Sean Connery of it all. I'm like, well, that could be really interesting. And it's Kate Blanchett. She's Kate Blanchett. She's a great actress. This is going to be awesome. She's going to be playing an evil sword wielding Russian. Yes, please put that on a plate for me. And I just thought this was going to be awesome. That's what I thought. Uh, Amanda, what was your expectations heading into the theater to watch Kingdom of the Crystal Skull? I feel like sad bagpipe music should be playing over this as we all are <laughs> like, really oh, do. I was hyped. I was excited. I, well, I really, I, you know, I, I mean, to be honest, I was mixed. Um, okay. Because, because I was not a, I was very, a little bit more skeptical of Shia LaBeouf coming in because he had just done Transformers. And I love Transformers. I love the old cartoon. I was very particular. I loved it. It was one of the few car ones I I, I really enjoyed. Optimus Prime fan. I know people would be like, you're basic. I don't care. I love Optimus Prime. Oh, no, okay. you're, you're um, right in that sense. <laughs> yes. But, um, but yeah, so I didn't care for how his performance was in Transformers. He's probably my least other than him and Megan Fox are my least favorite part. It's like, can we take them out and just Give me my Transformers, please. So um, the leads of the movies were your least favorite part of the movie? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> actually. Yes. Um, and, you know, so I was skeptical coming in because I'm like, he's in this movie. And I liked him, I want to say, because my sister used to watch Even Stevens, where I think is where he first came out in. And so I liked him in that. So I was hoping maybe he would have a, a, a better performance in this and not be so style the buff. Um, so I, Bubby, I'm, I'm I understand. I will help you in a minute. I will help you in a minute, okay? In a minute. Please. Thank you. He's trying to play Jedi Fallen Order, and I'm like, I don't know how you got into my game, but here we go. (laughs) He's like, I spent all your money that you saved up. Exactly. Well, luckily, it's an EA. If you have EA guys right now, y'all can stream that for free. Um, (laughs) Tip if you have an EA account. Um, But yeah, so I was kind of, I was skeptical because Shia was in it. But I really wanted it to be good because, you know, the last thing we had was Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. So it was so good. And I was excited for it because I'm like, well, it's Steven Spielberg. He's coming back and it's an Indiana Jones movie. We've gone too long with that one and it's going to be fine. I'm going to still enjoy it. Baba Shia LaBeouf won't have a big part. Um, and yet he did. And it was an experience. And I love Kate Blanchett, too. I feel like she and we'll talk, I'm sure we'll talk about her, but I think she elevates everything that she's in. She's like my favorite villainess in movies. I to the point where I root for the villainess if she's playing it. 
Um, you also just, have cosplayed as her character from Thor. I Ragnarok. have. I have. I love her. Awesome. I needed more Hela. I needed more Hela in Ragnarok. More yes. Hela. Um, <laughs> she was awesome. And so so I was I was mixed but hopeful going in. Tyler, um, how hyped were you? Or should we just turn up the sad back vibes at this point? <laughs> no, I was uh I was I was I would I would say I was skeptical in in, in a way. Not but a couple years before this, we were all saying things like, oh, like George Lucas is back in the director chair to do this like new Star Wars movies. And, you know, those burned quite a few of us. Um, And then, like Amanda said, Shia LaBeouf's in there. And I'm like, okay, he's the younger generation, but I never watched even Stevens. I never saw Holes. I didn't love Transformers. Um, Not because it was a bad movie. It just it wasn't part of my like youthful upbringing. Like I just wasn't a Transformers like person so like i could i was acutely aware that shia labeouf was sort of a mr all of a sudden a mr of the moment and though i mean i tend to love those actors a lot of people like amelia clark had sort of an of the moment thing like that kind of, and she's great so i don't think he's like without talent but i just wasn't into him so when they're like oh he's being brought in as clearly the next generation i was like i i'm seeing a recipe for disaster and uh so when i went to the theater though like we do get these iconic moments like the original moment where he's in silhouette and he puts on the hat it's hard as the music swells up not to get like some chills in those moments but yeah it, it i could i i was uh cautiously optimistic and i'm glad i didn't give my heart too much to this movie and i'm sort of doing the same with the fifth one because well, well i've been hurt Logan. before yes you have um <laughs> ali were you guarding your heart uh as closely as your husband well uh, i was, was at the time I was very excited when it was announced that we were getting the fourth movie. And then I I was disappointed when it turned out that Sean Connery wasn't going to come out of uh, retirement mm. for the movie. I was that was like the first disappointment was like Sean Connery's not going to be in it. And then the casting of Shia LaBeouf. I liked Shia LaBeouf in Disturbia. I actually liked him in the Transformers movie. But to tell me that he is the son of my Indiana Jones. <laughs> Hell no, I could beat up Shia LaBeouf in this movie. He is not like I remember even one of my 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 best straight male friend who I got high and watched Last Crusade with. We were talking about <laughs> how much we didn't like Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. And he was like, I know he's you're, he was like, he's not sexy. He's not big and muscular. And I was like, whoa, you sound like you're really into Harrison Ford. He was like, he makes me swoon. Like I was like, and this is my straight male friend. <laughs> So I was like, exactly. Like it should be somebody that you could buy would actually be of his genetic material. And like, I just, it, it all, you also need to buy that he could take on sorry. the franchise. Cause it was clear that they yeah, wanted to put the franchise in his hands. I'm sorry. He looks like he is five foot five and like weighs 90 pounds. And like, I could kick him over. Like I cannot buy that he is going to be a worthy successor as much as I, I think he's a fun actor and other things. He does not fit. Like you needed like, Brendan Fraser from like the mummy to be like the the person yeah. taking it yeah. over, you know? Like yeah. it, it just didn't only make if you're sense. bringing Rachel Vice from the mummy with him. That's, yeah. that's I'm, I'm fine. the line here. They can oh, they can both come. She can be the Numerian replacement. Like, you know, that would have been great for me. But what? I was so I was <laughs> I was already going in like expecting to not like Shia LaBeouf, but I was super excited for the rest of the movie. And I was ex so excited for Kate Blanchett. I think she like delivers and everything she's in. Again, she's like, I love her in Thor Ragnarok as well. I think she is so scary, but sexy, but like charismatic. 
And so all of those pieces were great. But then, yeah, it, it was it was quick in the theater to be like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, Alex, again, you saw this movie six weeks ago. Yeah. Um, <laughs> did you have any expectation going into this? Because, again, this is 15 years removed for you. So uh, my experience is completely opposite of everybody. When this movie was coming out in theaters, my expectation was it's going to be terrible. Why would anybody want to see that? Our supporter <laughs> is so old. He's over the hill. Who cares? This is going to be embarrassing. And I didn't, so I didn't go watch it. I, and then I had 15 years of people telling me it's the worst movie that's ever existed. I and mean, I sat down and watched it. And I was like, this isn't so bad. This is pretty good. Like, I don't know. I mean, maybe like we've gotten a lot of bad movies in the years since then, but <laughs> <laughs> I think like this is better movie than Thor Love and Thunder. Sorry, Bill. Uh, <laughs> if you want to throw down about that. Oh. And, and I just, I just have to remind you guys, I know like you're very convinced that there's no possible way that Shia LaBeouf could be Harrison Ford's son, but genetics is weird. Let's not forget that Chet Hanks is Tom Hanks' son, okay? Yeah, but he see Rita Wilson but- and Tom Hanks' son. Is he? I don't know. I'm just asking. I oh. think so. Oh, <laughs> Rita, what did you do? <laughs> oh, but Chet, Chet is still charming, though, in his own. Get out. No. Are you positive you're not thinking of Colin? You're Colin thinking of Colin. Is, yeah. I was thinking of Colin. My bad. Yeah. I was thinking yeah. of Colin. I was like, why Hanks is a rapper. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Oh, no. no. Okay. Yeah. Colin yeah, Hanks is charismatic okay. and charming. Yeah. So this is, I even, also, he is the yeah. Shia LaBeouf of the Hanks. Even the most yeah. charismatic and charming okay. men can have fail sons, I think, is a thing that we all know. So yeah, that doesn't Indiana stretch. Jones. It's Indiana <laughs> But this is a fake scripted son. You can make him sexy and swoon-worthy and worthy of taking on the But Indiana Jones is also a dork, and his dad is also a dork, right? I, I, so I think that it kind of works. And I will say, I, I, I like, don't want to... She slept with both of them. She's an attractive woman. Come on now. Yeah. I mean, Karen Allen, in the first movie, attractive woman. Mm, Kate also Catherine, a Nazi, though. Come on, you mean... They're, they're, <laughs> well, they're, I, they're I mental <laughs> dorks. They're not physical dorks. Like, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I was about to say, I was about to say I Sean would, Connery what, has that hot nerd dad energy. I would That's love... I would love in real life. It's just like he's, you know, he's a, he's a, he's not a physical dork, <laughs> and that's how you describe someone. He's not a physical dork, or you do describe someone. It's like, what do you think? Oh, he's a physical dork. It's just like, okay. Well, you know what? That's how I'm describing people from now on. I, I actually kind of feel like th- this this rating system would have made high school a lot more palatable in its way. I know I would have won so many things. Uh, Speaking of I high school, though. Is- in oh, high school, I enjoyed Shia LaBeouf a great deal. I would not stand up for the man that Shia has unfortunately become because no he probably should be in jail for the things that he's done. Oh, but yeah, at yeah. this point in time, uh, he, I was a big fan of his. I enjoyed him in Transformers, the only Transformers film that I saw. Uh, and I think that was probably the right call by me. Yes. I also <laughs> liked him in Disturbia. And I think right now it's easy to forget, but he was kind of getting hit, no, not just was. as like the cool new thing, but he was like, they were like, this is going to be the guy who owns Hollywood. He's the new Tom Hanks. That's mm-hmm. what he was being sold as, not the okay. new Harrison Ford. He was being sold as a new Tom Hanks. And I, and obviously that didn't pan out for a variety of reasons, but it made sense in the moment. Like I did go it, when I was in college, I went and saw Eagle Eye in IMAX at two thirty-five a.m. So that, that way I could see uh, Shia LaBeouf. So I was a fan of his, but he didn't get me through the door because I just thought this was going to be terrible. And then, like I said, fifteen years go by, people telling me it's terrible, and it just doesn't seem that bad to me. 
we will we will get to your defense. You will you will have your <laughs> Sam Waterston and Law and Order moment about this. Don't you worry. But let's talk about something that I think we all can agree was something that we were interested in that wasn't Shia LaBeouf, and that was Indiana Jones and Marion Ravenwood reuniting for the first time since before I was born. Um, did did were they able to recapture the chemistry that they had in Raiders? No. So I'll, well fedora i want you to jump on in and tell me about it why this physical dork of a relationship did not work um yeah i'm sorry i didn't mean to interrupt everyone else no but, i really wanted yeah. you to so <laughs> yeah it's she, that, like the actress is great um but i think they did her dirty in the script a little bit in that she doesn't really when she shows up, they don't give her those like strong moments like she got in Raiders. She's not drinking guys under the table. She's not getting herself rescued. She's not like punching dudes. Not that I need her to do those things in order to appear strong. But what she is doing is like wacky mom stuff, wacky grandma stuff. She's like critiquing Shia LaBeouf while he's trying to fence. She's, you know, not taking it seriously that she's captured. She's driving the car with like a big smile on her face into the tree, like goofily and then riding away like she's some kind of like happy-go-lucky psycho kind of thing. They're just not doing a lot. They don't give her a lot to do other than like have moments where she's so clearly still in love with Indiana Jones. And he is a monster to her, like through and through. Their whole relationship is the equivalent of a guy walking up to a slot machine, pulling it, hitting a jackpot, and then walking out of the casino without collecting anything. He, He just keeps doing her dirty and the fact that she's so quickly ready to be like, oh, but I love him. Like they have that sweet moment where he says, I dated a few, but they all have the same problem. None of them were you. That's like one sweet line, but can I, can I give you just... the full, can I give you the full quote? Cause it's pretty Please. excellent. Okay. So she goes, I'm sure there are plenty of women over the years. And he said, there were a few, but they all had the same problem. And she goes, yeah, what's that? And he says, they, they weren't you, honey. And it's Eddie walks away. It's like it's and he delivers it so great and it's so wonderful. And I think that to answer the question, I'm gonna just steal the rest Please. of Tyler's answer by saying, I think that they're great together in this movie. I think they're a lot of fun. I think that she gets an iconic entrance. Get your hands off me, you rotten ruski son of a bitch. Uh, and then it cuts to uh, Harrison Ford's face and he smiles like I've never seen him smile on screen ever in my entire life. His smile is so big, it takes up his entire face. And then she walks directly past him to my which is really funny and that's when she starts he's like you're her, his mom what and it's and then it just goes from there and i think that they have really fun kind of like x chemistry where they're like they're bantering and they haven't seen each other in 20 years but there's still something palpable there and they both really like to be, they missed this i think that is something that the actors really convey well is that they missed this connection and they're like they both regret walking away from it because yeah he walked away from her but she like gets married under a year after she after he leaves her, him. So I think there is that whole sense of like they both gave up on this thing too soon and they regret it now. And they're finally realizing it in the moment with the audience. We're all happy. They're sinking in quicksand. It's fantastic. They're snakes. What more do you want? I guess my only gripe is that she, like because I agree they do have nice chemistry. It is interesting and fun to see them back on screen. But all she gets, despite being this rich character, is regret that she or that her relationship with Indiana Jones fizzled. And I think she needed a little more. 
She's got some fun moments with uh, Kate Blanchett in that car where Kate Blanchett is like pointing the machine gun at, at her and she's trying to dodge it and still drive. She, and... she just really gets to duck, though. And I feel like she's yeah. Yeah. a few times and that's kind of it. Raiders Marion would have fucked her up for trying yeah. to hurt her son. Well, it is 20 years later. <laughs> uh, Allie, I'm very intrigued at your thoughts on the uh, rekindling of Indian Marion's uh, romance. I think it happens too fast. Like, as soon as he says the lines, you know, the, the, it, they weren't you, honey. She's like immediately back on board, giving him moony eyes. And like, is wouldn't you on... be too though, Allie, if he said that to you, come oh, on. I mean, it wouldn't take, it wouldn't, I was like, he, he would have like, never like, left. He, would, yeah, a, he, <laughs> he never would have left me. B, exactly. He walks in the room and says, hello. And I'm like, oh yeah, Jerry Maguire, that shit. Like I'm, I'm leaving, I'm leaving with you, but it's, it's the fact that like he left her via letter like a week before their wedding when she was pregnant with his child and like she's so willing to just he he has one cute line to her and like clearly they'd had problems in their relationship problems enough where she never told him he had a son and like he should be pissed about that and like require more explanation from her about that and she should be more pissed that he left her at the altar and she just, it takes that one line and she just like looks at him moony eyed for the rest of the movie. That kind of bugs me. I want them to win each other back more than they do because by that point, it's like just decided like, oh, they're over it. And now they're just like back together, moony eyed each other, the whole movie. So you would have rather the whole alien subplot just goes away <laughs> and it's really, really just a relationship drama and rom-com about them getting back together while also having adventures. Well, I mean, they, they just need a couple of I, lines all the way through, back and forth, bantering until finally, like, you know, they're getting married at the end, fine. But, like, it the, the fact that, like, it just is, like, they see each other and, like, 30 seconds later, they're, like, so eager to be back with each other. When clearly there were problems enough that he left her at the altar. Like, I feel like maybe it needs more work than just them, you know, seeing each other again. I agree. I think what happened with this is the actors make a lot out of nothing because they're essentially the script is, hey, it's the whole point break. Some people live to get radical, some, uh, but they don't see the spiritual side of it type deal where it's just like, we're just going to go for the superficial of, well, the audience just wants to see them back together. So we'll do we'll play the greatest hits, but we're not going to put any effort into it. And, and people are just going to love it. They're going to eat it up. No, we ate it up because we felt it. And that's what I don't feel here. It, there was like no, there was no meaning to this. We were just getting lines and there were scenes and there was no, like nothing was constructed properly here. And it was up to Karen Allen and Harrison Ford to be like, we're going to charisma the hell out of this thing and make it work. And it does, but that's why it feels like we're going to argue now. And everyone's like, oh, they're arguing. They're doing the bit. And it's just like, you're just popping for the bit not what the bit's doing like there's no meat on the bones and that's what i think the problem here is because if they gave it a minute and made it they also added there's also way too many characters in this movie too but i think if they gave it a little more time let things like actually mean something i think that's a much better dynamic here but alex you are right the actors genuinely love playing off each other like they're happy to be together and they're going to, they were going to be like, we're going to make this work. Like you could see them in a trailer, like, listen, this script blows, but we are going to act the fuck out of this thing. And we're going to make this, 
we're going to make people try and feel something here because it well, was not on the page. Let's not forget. So this this was co-written by George Lucas. The last romance that George oh. Lucas wrote was yeah. Anakin and Padme. So if you compare it to that, that I mean, you know. I mean, well, yeah. sure. <laughs> Oh, I had more point. passion for the sandwich I had for lunch, but I mean, like, yeah. you know, this is a very good sandwich. So Alex, brother, Alex, yeah, Alex no you're idea. a smart guy. I encourage you to set your bars much higher than you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, also, yeah. Bill, uh, please pat yourself on the back for making uh, such an astute point based off of that line from Point Break. I I'm, make I'm it like on every podcast I'm on. Uh, Alex can <laughs> attest to it. Uh, Amanda, I mean, I know if you were in the role, we would have felt it, but <laughs> yeah. How'd you feel I mean, about Harrison, Indian Mary? Harrison would not have would not have left me. I'm just saying, he would not have left Shots me. Shots at or, Marianne, you know, I would have left. Wow. Him. Or I would. By the way, Brandon, I would have left him. Oh shit! Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, I agree with. I mean, everybody here has made excellent points. I mean, Ali, I feel like I wrote with you. I feel like they gave they gave each other a pass. I'm like, he has left her twice already. Twice. No, no, no. Like you know, you shouldn't forget him so quickly. <laughs> like he's left you twice. Second time was even worse than the first time. And we heard about the first time with the whole, you know, her being 16, 17 type of thing. It's like, oh. he's been, yeah, that was a whole thing. And it's just like, it was the thirties. No. Yeah, yeah. We well, said that too. And we didn't feel uh, good yeah, about it. Yeah, no, no. So, so, it's still icky, but, <laughs> but it's, you know, I mean, they, they gave each other a path and they did it for the sake of fan service. And so it's, you know, the only, the only reason why it kind of works is because it's Marion. Like if they had thrown in like Kate Capshaw or they brought Elsa back, or there's, there's no other female lead who you could put Indy with that could have like, but I'm not crazy. I, you know, it's, and it's really because like Alex said, the, the actors made it work. The actors made it work. And yeah, they made it up way too quickly. I would have been okay with yeah, we're slowly trying maybe to work things out. Maybe we're in therapy. Like you still have the whole premise of the movie happening, but instead of them getting married at the end, have them like hang out and go eat somewhere or like, you know, leave it open-ended. Leave yeah, it open-ended. Yeah, like that's the start. And, right. Like that's the start where they can heal and repair if they really want to. If they really, really want really to. There's a really important theme of this film, a subtext that is running through the entire film that needs that ending to happen, so... What's that subtext, Alex? Okay, I'm curious now. Yeah. Okay, well, it's all about it's. So the movie it's all starts about out. Mutt being the next Indiana Jones, so we need to make <laughs> more money. <laughs> no, the the movie starts out with a very infamous scene of the nuking of the fridge, right? Which everybody says, "Oh gosh, it's like the worst thing that's ever happened in a franchise movie." But I mean, it actually sets up a it sets up this important arc that happens for Indy throughout this film where he starts out, he's, if you don't know, you haven't watched the movie in a long time, he's running from the Russians, he ends up finding himself in this picturesque nuclear family suburb, right? Which is completely false. There's nothing there. Uh, it's all like cardboard and stuff and because it's going to get blown up by a nuclear bomb any second. So he's there, he has, there's nothing in that town for him, right? That's the world that he has been running from his whole life. And it's set in the 1950s, which is like iconic nuclear family time, right? right? Conformity, uh, conservatism. So he's there. Literal action adventure blasts him away from that picturesque town, right? Destroys it. That is his arc that we have seen up until this point. And by the end of the film, he is united with a family that accepts him and that conforms to his values and his adventurous spirit, but doesn't 
need him to be this lone wolf out on his own. He has embraced the fact that he needs a family, but it can be on his terms. That's the story of Indiana Jones in this movie, and that's why it's not a bad movie. Wow. And how do the aliens wow. factor into that subtext? But yeah, I'm <laughs> curious aliens, about this. The aliens are a hive mind, right? They are community. I wish that was the movie I saw. But he, it, well, he, it doesn't, is... he doesn't need to be getting married for that to be the ending. Right. No, I, I on guess. On like but... a nice sunsetty walk with his new son and Mary and Trier? Still cucking his son, though, by the end, being like, nah, I'm not giving up that hat just yet. Yeah. Well, uh, I think it's yeah. important he that he didn't because. As a verb. Jesus. <laughs> Listen, it's after hours. All right, no holds part. <laughs> Alice doesn't have to work tomorrow, so not, all the clubs are off. Um, let's let's talk about let's talk about maybe something we we did like. I hope. And also, there is oh. a connection with the aliens. I will say because if you look at what happens to the villains of the film, right, that we haven't really gotten into yet, Which there's Kate Blanchett's character who is so obsessed with knowledge right this the mystery and the knowledge that is a core part of who harrison ford's indiana jones has been as well right that's been a core value of his he can't help himself but go after the the information right and she like him feels the same way and ends up the aliens literally destroy her like incinerate her with all of the knowledge of the universe and his like crappy friend mac who is like a triple turncoat nightmare <laughs> he is uh, obsessed with the trinkets and the gold and the things that also has motivated uh, Indy. He's mm -hmm. for less savory reasons than uh, than Indy, but still, and he is undone by that. Meanwhile, Indy makes the choice to abandon all of it and just keep his family safe, the new family unit that he has forged through adventure and through mystery. And which that's is, which is that's why did. it's a good. That Steven Spielberg doesn't make bad movies, right? He makes but, movies that don't work 100% of the time, but he doesn't make bad movies. And that's why this movie He is abandons good. both of those people in those moments because they're both going to die in different stupid yeah. ways. <laughs> <laughs> He's not abandoning he, those pursuits. Well, I, I beg to differ. <laughs> she's going to melt because she's sitting, sitting in the room that's like disintegrating and he's in a room that's also going to disintegrate very quickly and should stop like dicking around with the gold. Let's get to that villain. Yes. And that yeah. is uh, the character, which maybe most people don't remember because her name really wasn't said that often. Uh, Irina Spalko, uh, what a name, played by Kate Blanchett, multi-time Oscar winner. Guys, what do we think of it? It's Kate Blanchett, so she doesn't give bad performances. Let's just. I think this is the worst performance of her career. I'm just putting it out there. As some defender of this movie, I think this is the worst Kate Blanchett performance I've ever seen. Anyone could jump in because I just, I'm just like, <laughs> what do we think of her? In this I, so, I don't know about I, the worst, but yeah, she's not. It's not her best. No, it's it's not her best, but she was still one of the strongest parts of this movie. She still made it watchable, though. I mean, I, yes, I her Russian accent was not the best, and you could hear her natural accent slip through, but she had enough charisma to still be, you know, to, to really still steal the show, if you will. Like, she just came in, she commanded, you know, she, she's, she's running this group of men, and just, just comes in very solid, very, you know, I, I don't like that they, you know, she made what she, she was given work, because, <laughs> I mean, the whole paranormal, I was like, the whole alien thing drove me crazy. Um, but she did the best with what she had. I still think she stole the show. I think she still came off as a strong character. 
and is still, I think, was fairly early-ish in her career, too. So, I mean, you've really seen her, obviously, finesse the villainess part of it with Hella and Ragnarok. Again, my favorite. <laughs> my favorite. We never got enough. I'm still going to say, like, we need more Hella. Um, but I, I feel like she was on her way there. But I still think she's one of the strongest parts of this movie and one of the most intriguing parts of this movie. She made it watchable because I had to suffer through it. I'm like, well, thank God for Kate Blanchett. <laughs> I agree. Like her this. accent had that in and out quality that you would be like, oh, honey, please, you're so much better than this. But she was compelling and you could see the shades that she brought to Thor Ragnarok that like you could see kind of the birth of that here where she can yeah. be very scary. She can be very commanding. She's yeah. Would she win in a fight against Harrison Ford? Probably not, but she brings the strength to her a character that makes her scary, like her own version of scariness and intimidating. Well, and I really wished to like, Ali, you brought up a good point about Marion. I, and, and also Tyler, I think you guys both nailed it. Just especially Tyler with the whole, you know, you wanted more for Marion. And I feel like the big part of that was because Kate Blanchett came in and was so commanding and you really wanted the Marion of the, like the Raiders, the Marion from the Raiders of the Lost Ark could have stood toe to toe with Kate Blanchett. But I feel like Kate Blanchett came in with the air that we needed from Marion. She came in and she channeled her Marion. <laughs> yeah. Like it would have been fun way. to see like a fight between them. And we didn't really right. get that. Yeah. And we didn't really get that. But I think because of Kate Blanchett's performance, that those nuances and those those errors, if you will, you know, those those wish things that I wanted were more glowing and more glaring because, you know, Kate Blanchett came in so strong. Amanda As, brings up a great point of that goes back to my point about Harrison Ford and, and Karen Allen does the best with what she's got. This this movie is yeah. woefully underwritten uh, for so many of the characters, and they just I, use I I disagree. I disagree. Let me finish. Let me finish. Is I think for these characters, there's so much, there's so many things happening in this that I don't think any character gets a hell of a lot of time to establish mm-hmm. anything outside of we know Indiana Jones. And I think, and they give a lot of time, and sadly, I think give the most time to Mud. And, uh, but with her, does the best with what she's given. Is it her greatest performance? No, probably not. You know why? Because she's Kate fucking Blanchett. And it's just like, she's an all-timer. She could quit today and never do another movie. One of the best actresses to ever live. Period. And so this isn't one of her best performances, but I think she does a hell of a job with the very little and cartoon character-esque performance. Uh, description of a character she's given i you're absolutely right I, that, that brings up two things i want to bring up the first is you kind of mentioned both of them have to do with just the writing of this movie and how underbaked it very much was and bill you mentioned no one really gets like character development and a lot that uh they can do and you said one of the only things one of the main things this movie trades in is the fact that we all know and love indiana jones and yet another misstep for this movie that drives me nuts every time i watch it is that they spend so much of the movie discussing Indiana Jones's life post Last Crusade, pre-Crystal Skull. The times where we do not fucking know what happened to him. It's all about his days as a spy and working with this Mac guy who came out of nowhere and his previous time in uh, South America, I believe, and all of that. So that really bugs me because it would be so easy to just tie this into some of the stuff that we know and they choose not to do that. And to circle back to Kate Blanchett's villain, uh, another symptom of this movie being underwritten for me was the fact that she is the main villain of this movie 
Um, but when you compare her to someone like Belloc, who's like at odds with Indiana Jones, even though they're both after the Ark of the Covenant in this movie, they both really want the same thing to the point where they spend a good chunk of this movie just straight up working together. Like when it all comes down to it, they both want to be in those that room with the aliens. They both want to return the skull to the aliens to he wants to do it because he feels this compulsion to do it because he knows it will restore his friend's sanity um, and all of this other stuff. She wants to do it because she wants all of the knowledge in the world. And eventually they both get their wish and then part ways. And that's not like a big villainous throwdown or showdown or climax or anything like that. And for a, the most part, they, they're at odds the whole movie because she's kind of a dick and just would rather kidnap people than try to work with them. And that just really like irks me. They, they, they want the same thing to a point, to a point where they could very easily mutually, and they do just get what they want and separate. And that, so, that bugs me. I promise I I'm not being a contrarian. I have, I just have a completely opposite opinion on, on Kate Blanchett and on this character. Cause I think honestly, it's a pretty well-written character, maybe the best written character in the movie other than Indiana Jones. I think that they, they avoid falling into very easy cliches that they could have done. She's not like an evil villain. She is someone who is, has been like radicalized because of the actions of America in the in the nuclear age right to do to go to extraordinary lengths for her quest of knowledge to protect her nation and she and she is very immoral in that quest but it is almost like an a, an interestingly a noble pursuit like she really feels like America has pushed Russia again like into a corner and she needs to do all she can and acquire all of the information in the galaxy in order to protect her people it's it's a very different sort of thing that we've seen before from villains and i think it's super interesting that they don't have a big like like fight showdown because they are ultimately aligned in their interests and instead she is undone by her hubris instead of undone by indiana and i think that's dramatically a really cool choice that most action movies wouldn't make because they want like the people in the stands with the popcorn being like yeah let's punch each other whatever like they give us that earlier in the movie and it's bad with the fencing and the whole thing like that's that's a disaster uh but <laughs> then they leave the actual interesting ending for the ending and i think that was kind of brave and cool i think that kate is just not i think the choices that she makes as an actress in this in this role are incredibly boring unfortunately like i find that she doesn't bring the same level of charisma or interiority that she often plays in other roles like she's a better villain in hannah she's a better villain in sleeping yeah. beauty she's a better villain in thor ragnarok she's a better villain in tar right but like the these this performance i think just doesn't do the material justice Let's get, into, <laughs> <laughs> let's get into the mud of it all. Yes. What do you guys, so let's talk about, it's going to be a two-part question. One, the, the decision to give Indiana Jones a son. And secondly, it's this guy. Um, <laughs> so uh, I, fr I have framed that question so non-biased. Non it's so biased. Uh, what a dick. Um, Alex, I want to start with you. Uh, okay, so I have the a decision, list. So the decision to... <laughs> The decision to give it to have Indiana Jones have a long lost son and it to be cool daddy o mutt here. 
So you obviously have to give him a son because the whole the last movie was about Indy's daddy issues. So this movie has to be about what a bad dad Indy is, of course, right? That's just how storytelling works. So a correct choice. And I like the fact that he is a long lost son that he doesn't know about because you really get a lot of fun moments early on in the film where Mutt and Indy are really bonding over this shared daddy issue that they have right and and then it flips when indy realizes that he's the dad that that mutt has been kind of like rebelling against unknowingly uh his whole life and i think that that is a really fun kind of way where you get that buy-in where you get that connection you get to see what these characters have in common and then you get to play the drama of oh no i'm the bad dad now i like have this have to rethink my whole life and and they both kind of have that and there's a lot of stuff going on in the movie at that point so you don't really get to focus on it as much as you probably should then if they had it would have been a better movie like last crusade but it's not and that's okay um but i think that that's the right choice as for shia in the movie i think that he does like i was told that this is like a jar jar binks level character and i just think that that's just <laughs> preposterous <laughs> like, I, I mean, wow. I, mean wow. I i just don't think that he's a disaster the way that the, that people have said that he is i think like i've I, I like Shia, this this era of Shia, so I'm somewhat biased towards that. But I think that it's, we know that when they were making the movie, they were like, and hey, maybe he'll be the lead of the next one. But the movie doesn't treat him that way at all, ever. The movie treats him as sidekick, and he does a really good job as the sidekick. He gives Indiana Jones a lot of opportunities to explain things, to show off how cool and interesting he is. He puts, the movie puts Mutt at a disadvantage by always having to be kind of like one-upped by Indiana Jones. He gets a couple of moments here or there where he's like, oh yeah, there's something interesting that like Indy might have noticed, but that he notices, like the part where they're in the kind of like the tomb and Mutt notices that there's that the two uh, sets of footprints are actually the same foot and so maybe it's the same person going on two trips and like that's a detail that Indiana might have made but for the most part Mutt's there to make Indiana look cooler and it struck me as a movie that we're going to talk about in a few weeks uh, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol where they tried to do a similar thing they had Tom Cruise kind of somewhat like they positioned Jeremy Renner in that movie to be kind of like the heir apparent to Tom Cruise but then they gave Tom Cruise all of the cool stuff Stuff and Jeremy Renner had to be the sidekick who's like, wow, Tom Cruise, you're so great. So like, you can't be a cool character if that's your role. <laughs> and I, I wish so that I was think... a line. Like, oh, you're really, I, I really you do. Nathan Hunt, you're really cool. It's, I mean, it's, they, they, basically lines yeah. in a lot of those movies. In, in Rogue Nation, yeah. Alec Baldwin gets an entire monologue where that is literally what he says. <laughs> He's the living he is, manifestation yeah. of destiny. Exactly. exactly. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I but wish so we could you could replace <laughs> Alec Baldwin in that movie with you. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I get that a lot. I wish we could replace should. Alec Baldwin with you in a lot of situations. I think they would have panned out better for a right? lot of people. Yep. Uh, <laughs> but in any case, so that is basically my my thing i think like he plays he's obviously playing this kind of like parody of a greaser early on but that is clearly like a front an art an artifice that he is putting on to mask his true like insecurity which is a very similar trait that indiana jones has and the bravado that he has which is really just a mask of his own uh, insecurity is it the best executed version of that idea no but it's not the worst executed version of it either and I don't know. I just think that there's a lot there that it makes sense. Like Shia is a kind of a hothead who's quick to fighting. He has, he gets to have like Indy gets to have,
have a reaction to his hot-headedness in the same way that Sean Connery gets to have a reaction to Indy's hot-headedness in The Last Crusade. So they're, they're playing up the parallels, and I think it works better than it doesn't. I think it's just if you go in and you're like, this has to be the next Indiana Jones, you'll be like, no, obviously not. But the movie never treats him that way, and I think we have to take the movie on its own terms, not like the, you know, Lucasfilm franchise machinations. It, like, we have to try to not look at it that way. Can I jump in? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, I'm done. That was my okay. whole rant. I went through all so, my bullet points. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I I agree with a lot of what you said. I think, so narratively, the meta commentary of it all, they needed someone who could put a little bit of the action on their shoulders by not just not being a near 70-year-old man. Uh, they needed someone who could tie back to the sort of nostalgia hits that is Marion Ravenswood and the other movies. Uh, and they needed someone who could potentially carry the franchise into the future. So that is all things that exist. Let's put a pin in it. What, to your point, the last movie was The Last Crusade, which was all about the daddy issues of it all. But because Indiana was not aware of Mutt's existence for a majority of his life, he's never really going to be able to mirror what he had with Sean Connery. What he had with Sean Connery was he was Sean Connery was so obsessed with his own pursuits for adventure and greatness that he did not recognize or really soak in this brilliant adventurer that he had a hand in creating until possibly it was too late. So given all of that, I submit to you, there is not a goddamn reason in the world that Mutt is not short round. <laughs> Mutt should be short round. Because, Thank you. I mean, he doesn't need a son. He do, he needs a son figure. He needs someone who he has to take responsibility for as this new adventurer. Him and Mutt are goddamn strangers, and the, <laughs> he's just like so a angry. mule for the nostalgia. There's like a five Wait, minute. Did you just say he's a, essentially a drunk mule for feelings? No. no. <laughs> Marion comes in on his back. I think Marion could come in and it's fine. You don't need her to be like the mother of Indy's kid. You just need right. her to walk on screen and be Marion. But yeah. if you need someone who can do the action and hit Indy in the father feels, there's no reason it's not short round. Well, short round isn't his son. It's his best friend, Tyler. Pay attention. <laughs> oh, but they man. both serve the same purpose, though. Like, they yeah. really can't tell. You know, it's just, I almost feel like Shia LaBeouf's doing like, he's just ripping off short round and just not executing it as well. It's the same, like, give me a light, shine me a light, do this, do this. Because yep. again, you know, the way the story's coming across, they don't know they're related to each other. And it's not, you know, Tyler brings up a great point. It's not the same, it's, it can't be the same dynamic. You know, it, it's not a relationship that's been there lifelong where you have that history built up. I mean, quite frankly, you could have brought Short Round back and put cook, him in the role. Cook up a reason him and Short Round have been somewhat estranged, but like yeah. still in each other's orbit. I mean, and but like there. Short Round would be like 40 in the movie, so it wouldn't really play the same way. Well, no, because it was only oh. supposed to be about 20 years from that. Yeah. So it, he no, but been... Temple of Doom is a is a prequel to Raiders. Even still, I think, though. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was supposed to be like 1937 or something. It's only a couple of years before Raiders. Okay, and, and like Mutt's age doesn't yeah. really come into play, other than to make the math work that he is a uh, exactly. son to Indiana Jones. Yeah. So if if Mutt were thirty, or if Short Round were here at thirty, it works. 
And I think that that, that's one of the biggest problems like that you like that you've touched on. Like this movie is an exposition factory. It wants us to care about characters that we don't have a connection to, but they tells us like, oh, hey, like care about John Hurt's character because Indiana Jones has this whole relationship and so does Mutt and so does Marion. No, you didn't see any of that. So he would have made so much sense if it was Henry Jones, but because they couldn't get Sean Connery, they had to create this new character. But if you replace John Hurt with Sean Connery's character, you'd have that built-in care for like why they have to go on this adventure to like save him and then also save his sanity. And then you have that problem with like the double agent guy or triple agent guy. You're told like 18, like that he's had all of these adventures with Indiana Jones, but you could give a shit about him because <laughs> you're just yeah. being told. Every time he was like, said that, I want to rip uh, his fucking face off. I remember just, Berlin? I just, like, remember, no, not, I don't. No, exactly. Exactly. You're just being exactly. told I, all of these I adventures. I like that stuff. So it's just <laughs> oh. constantly, you're just constantly being nope. told all of this exposition. You're not being shown anything that makes you actually care about these people. Right. And then my biggest problem with Mutt is that I think Shia LaBeouf could not overcome the fact that he was horribly miscast. I think he does a good enough job, sure, in a poorly written character, but there was just, ne- he was never going to get over the hump of being poorly miscast. He did have a whole shadow on top of him, and he is not, like, Sean Connery is to Harrison Ford, but there is no comparison of like Harrison Ford is to Shia LaBeouf. Like he is not yeah. the third in that line. That I mean, it sense. should have been Channing Tatum, obviously. Like we can all agree on that. But oh, what a movie that would have been. It should have been like this era, Brendan Fraser. Like somebody that. Yeah. that but who was by... Brendan Fraser in 2008? Like it was kind of a weird era for yeah. young actors. Yeah. I think. Chatting would have too dumb though, too dumb. I don't think he'd have like you can't. But that would have been a fun angle to play. No. You could have played. Mean, that. You could have maybe so had a Ryan Gosling, maybe or like oh. I don't know. I, I don't like, know. Like, oh, I, think, I think Ryan Gosling could have done because he could've. can play anything. Sorry, my computer yeah. stand just broke, but, so it looked like well, it was a I also feel like Shia. A large part of why Shia got this was because they were capitalizing off the Transformers. Yeah, well, it was. It was. It was, was he li- he got it because Steven Spielberg was executive producer on Transformers, cast yeah. him in Transformers, and then told George Lucas, this is the new star of Hollywood. We need and him he, in the Indiana Jones movie. And he was. And, and that's what and he, he, was, he was the guy. He was at that time, but it's just like Shia LaBeouf showed up to work as Shia LaBeouf in Transformers. Like, I feel like also kind of my issue with him during that era is that he plays the same part over yeah. and over or has the same so many of the same mannerisms whereas i think maybe if he didn't show up in transformers mode maybe maybe this could have had a little bit more of a chance but you know it was here he's really hot right now we're just we're just going to plug him in and he's horribly miscast that's shy is so hot right now <laughs> alex i'm not going to but i'm just going to say this about the mac character like you alex i love I love spy thrillers. I love espionage. I can't wait for us to talk about Secret Invasion and just dork out about it. But not like, but like mentally dork out about it, not physically be dorks. But I just hated the fact that they just, he would just, he did, it was just so many turns. I just wanted to punch him in his big face. No, yeah. I, he was I, so trying I to agree. beat Elsa. 
but the, the went, triple the triple quadruple was, turn the, but, but like ultimately the it builds, with the triple lutz it, was, <laughs> <laughs> it ultimately i think what they were going for is like he it, keeps switching sides until it, it until it becomes clear that he really only cares about getting yeah. to the loot and that's really all he cares about but i agree like at a certain point it just gets chaotic in a way that's not fun but what i will say that i like is the thing that all of you guys hate and i respect the fact that you hate this but i like a story that alludes to a larger world a larger universe a, other stories that we're not getting to see i think that's fun that makes the world seem bigger if everything feels connected to just the thing that we saw in the last movie i feel like that makes the world feel really small i feel like that's a problem that like a lot of the later star wars movies has where like you have this giant universe to tell a story in and instead it's just about like one family and like the three people that they met one day when they were in the desert you know like i, I like a movie that feels robust that there's a world that we're hopping into and like the characters are in media res like i think that that's a fun component of this movie but I get what you're saying, like from a dramatic perspective, if you don't feel invested in the characters, I think that that's why this movie is not a great movie, because the movie would have had to have taken the time to actually make you feel invested in these people that you don't know. And it doesn't really do that very effectively. So I'll give you points on that. There's too right. many new characters for you to do that. Be like, yeah. th there's yeah. three new people for if you, you to care If you about. eliminated one or two, if you're eliminated as the Abner Ravenwood character, I think that actually helps a lot. But uh, what I want to do is, I, uh, uh, I, I sorry, Tyler, you had a point. I don't want to no, cut you off. Uh, oh, I, I was want... just going to... Oh, no, go. Let's forget you know, it. What? Point's bad at this point. It's bad. It's dated. <laughs> uh, it's spoiled, it's spoiled book at this point. Uh, Tyler uh, was just going to agree with me and say that I was right and he's wrong about the movie. So thank uh, you, Tyler. So, I, Alex, you've made a lot of... As, as like, what a surprise. Alex makes great points. Uh, because you always do. Because you really think about these films. So I really want you just to give your final summation. You are, you are now Sam Waterston. Uh, your eyebrows are super bushy and you're in a New York Supreme Court right now and you are giving us your final summation, uh, much like Ben did, about why this is not as bad as we think or why people should give this film a second chance. Yeah, so I want to start out this, like defense by saying i do think that this is the worst of the four movies but i think it's a three-star movie i don't think it's a one-star movie the way people okay. talk about it and i think that this movie has great set pieces the opening sequence which runs 20 minutes long where they're in the warehouse and they're doing like they're showing how smart indy is by like like using bullets as a way to kind of like identify where a magnetic box is instead of like using it to shoot people that's a fun idea the rocket is a fun comedy beat the the whole set up with the nuclear family establishing the theme I think is really cool and smart. Uh it has great cinematography throughout it just like the film looks like it's drenched in nostalgia in a way that's good usually that's a bad quality for a film but i think it, everything just has this like golden hue that makes you feel really warm and like you're returning to a world that you care about the production design when it gets to be production design and isn't terrible cgi looks fantastic um i think like the motorcycle chase scene sequence earlier the movie is fun because indiana jones is this person who has always like his whole life is in a college uh, like on a college campus but we see the adventures that he takes when he's not on campus we finally get to see a fun action sequence on a college campus where he's going through the quad and they go through a library and he gives a short lecture to one of his students about how you got to get in the field and it's like fun and silly and it still like is action-packed um and i just think like a lot of the movie works that way you get fun puzzles you get riddles you get all of the stuff that you want from this sort of film it's 
is slow. It the, it has pacing issues. It has too many characters. The John Hurt stuff is a disaster. But uh, there is good things about this film, and I think it's worth your time. And I think it's worth like revisiting outside of the hype cycle, outside of the expectation game, and just like looking at it as like a blockbuster that you would see in a theater now. And like, how is it going to compare to what you want to see? And I think in that sense. It's good. And it also, it captures the sort of like wacky B-movie 50s vibe pretty well. Like it has killer ants, it has crazy aliens, it it recontextualizes that whole genre of B-movie in the way that the earlier Indiana Jones films recontextualizes the jun- the jungle adventure stuff. I think it got tagged a lot of the time by being like, well, but that's not what Indiana Jones is. Indiana Jones is like religious artifacts. It's like, but if you move the story forward in time, you pay homage to a different type of story. I think that makes more sense than telling the exact same story a fourth time. So I appreciate a lot of the big swings that they take. And I think that they don't always work out, but I think that things hit more than they miss. And it's a solid three star film. I got to tell you, they should hire you to republicize this movie. <laughs> so let's, I do let's... envy your ability to watch something like this yes. removed from the hype perspective. I do. I do think that's, I, uh, I think that's that a is skill you have. I think that is, is very important, too, is like our the four of our experience is we were coming off Last Crusade as the last Indiana Jones, whereas Alex was like, I'm just watching these movies. Well, I did watch Last Crusade no, know, on the it, same day. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. It's the same day. So you're just watching, you're watching these films as, whereas yeah. the expectation level of mm-hmm. this is the sequel X amount of years in the making, where it's like, yes, finally we're here. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, that's what we got. Um, yeah. So let's end this on a positive note for, for uh, Crystal Skull. Outside of Alex, let's name one thing we really liked about this film. So um, Alex actually brought it up. And then that for me was the motorcycle scene. As much as I am not a huge fan of the Mutt character, that I think was his best part, which is like where they're going through the quad. He's showing he's like a, you know, quasi brawler, just like his dad, just kind of, just kind of hauling off and just knocking people around and just not, you know, devil may care type thing. And Indiana Jones is now in the Sean Connery role of being the, you know, very tweed professor who has to rely on the younger cat to to help him out. And I think that's where that dynamic, and that's probably Mutt's best part of the film. And I think that's where they definitely work the best. I think it's the most Indiana Jones fun that happens in this film. And so to me, I, if I'm recommending one scene, it's going to be that because it's just really, really fun. Uh, so Amanda, what is, uh, give me, give me, some, give me a positive. Give me, give this film a compliment. Uh, I'm going to give it to Kate Blanchett because I think as a as a female villain, I know this is an earlier role for her and she's building that villain expertise that she's now has or that villainous expertise, if you will, but that she now has under her belt. She's awesome at. Um, but I, I feel like you've got the glimpses of the potential that we are now getting. And she held her own. I mean, she stole the show to me. She was a charismatic villain. She was a different type of villain. And to work with something like you know, um, psychic ability and paranormal type of stuff and make it believable. And like, like, you know, I mean, with the whole hand thing, it was like, okay, that that's cheesy, but she put her effort into making that little hand, you know, that little psychic, you know, telekinetic thing work. And uh, I was like, you've got a hard man to read, Mr. Jones. You're, I, I'm just like, she delivered that. Because <laughs> I would have been dying laughing if it were me, like trying to like, I'm going to read your mind. This is how I'm going to intimidate you with a hand. Um, 
and she just she delivers so well so to me she is one of my favorite if i have to pick something great about this movie or good it's it's her she's a she and to steal the show a little bit from harrison ford that that's a big accomplishment in itself so i'm i'm here for kate blanchett all right tyler give me give me a positive um I think Alex mentioned, I think one of my favorite sequences in this movie is uh, the the fire ant sequence. I think it's the most sort of straight across the plate action Indiana Jones set piece. What I think sets the other three movies apart from this is they can be very uh, small scale with their action. All of the set, and it's probably inferred by the way I discovered this franchise, but a lot of the best action sequences in the, in the Indiana Jones franchise could take place in like a stunt show, like on a studio, practical stuff. Raiders, the best action sequences in these tight streets on, uh, uh, in Egypt. Um, Last Crusade, one of the best action sequences is just in a tank, like small scale, more yeah. practical stuff. Whereas um, this movie has a lot of moments like the motorcycle chase, like the like big temple thing where they're being like chased by the natives, like uh, the warehouse chase. They're very large scale, which you need in your way when you are doing a movie in 2008 versus 1989 or whatever it was. Uh, but this one, they found a way to make it small contained but then you have like the fire ants like devouring people and dragging them away that is very like couldn't really have been done back then to the same effect so i think that's the most like where they were in the indiana jones like rails uh so i'm gonna give it that i'm surprised as a fan of ant-man bill that you didn't spotlight <laughs> that scene i was thinking about it and then i had like this um psychic connection with tyler because there's some weird noises here like the school he, he was doing the hand gesture. You just didn't see him. He was doing it from under like the, the table. Yeah, that. Dark Order. I don't know. Uh, I've actually got this crystal skull here that I can. Uh... Oh no! Don't look at it. It's too long. Oh, it's the it's the Dan Aykroyd <laughs> vodka uh, tequila. Sorry, no, it's vodka. That's right. Um, but Allie, close us out. I would say the opening sequence. I maybe it's because that's also just both times I've watched it when I had hope. Uh, and then it, <laughs> before my hope gets drained out of me but I do think the opening sequence is fun like you have him introducing like being introduced in the silhouette and you see him put on the iconic hat that's a great way to introduce Indiana Jones him being pulled out of a trunk because he's gotten himself into another problem and I don't even mind Jonesy annoying guy at that point saying like oh we've had worse odds and stuff i think that that was a fun time of like knowing these guys that had adventures knowing indy had had adventures that we hadn't seen but he's you know the same indy we know he's kept going all of these years that was all really fun up until the fridge i think like the, the whole opening <laughs> yeah sequence, him getting through you know uh where he uses the whip to get the gun and then kind of gets you know the upper hand that way that's all very fun the introduction of kate blanchett I I was, you know, charmed by that. Uh, and then, you know, it, it slowly kind of loses its steam or actually quite fast loses its steam for me. But um, I, I was on board for that sequence. All right, guys. So I had, we, we were gone a little long on this podcast uh, today because we had a lot to talk about. We've had a, a crazy amount of fun. This was such a great pick me up for me today. And I'm really, I'm really happy everyone was on the pod today. We have I have one final question, and this is going to go into a greater indieverse type of question. Um, when we did last uh, last week's episode, uh, the uh, Dial of Destiny was just released in Cannes, uh, and so we didn't know what the ratings were. Currently, as we stand, it's roughly at forty nine percent. As of when I did the show notes this morning, forty nine percent on Rotten Tomatoes, based on thirty nine reviews. So it's not great. Does that 
hamper in any way your hype level for Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny? Amanda. I'm going to say no, because I still want to see it. Uh, to me, I'm going, I want to go in with an open mind. And based on what I saw in the trailer, I enjoyed it. It still gave me the, the nostalgic indie vibe I was missing from Crystal Skull. You have Mads Mikkelsen. I'm super intrigued. You should have Mads Mikkelsen as a villain. And I love him in Hannibal. Um, mm. And of course, obviously, Star Wars. He, was, he wasn't like a villain villain, but you know, Galen Urso. But, you know, Hannibal, you've got him as, as your villain. So it's going to be super intriguing. And I'm really hoping that we get like a short round cameo or, you know, because you never know. You never know. We might if, just get it. Even if they were like, smart, they would have just filmed one real fast. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And like, just toss it in there and we'd all be happy about it. Um, but, you know, it, it it feels, you know, I, I like the way the characters are coming across so far. Some of the ties to the previous movies. Um, so I'm, I know the reviews are like sitting almost at 50%. I was, I read that same too. I was like, but I'm like, I'm still going to go in. I'm still going to try to enjoy it. It can't be worse than Crystal Skull. <laughs> it can't be worse. So the trailer looks far more promising. So I'm still here for it. And I'm still going to go check it out. It actually could be worse. Um, ah, Dill. <laughs> but here's, here's if Alex has convinced us of anything. It's that, yeah, it could be worse. Yeah, but, exactly. But here, here's. There were no here, screaming goats. <laughs> I like the screaming goats too. Yes. That was the one, the best part. Yeah, and it was the the part my daughter and I laughed hysterically at every time. I embarrassed myself laughing so loud at that. And same. me and Nebula were on the same page on that. On well, those goats. You with Nebula get are on the same page on a lot of things. And <laughs> that's true. So for me, what Crystal Skull has taught me is, hey, buddy, don't go in with so much hype. Because I think that was my problem with Last Crusade. Like, I put it on, a, it was an almost impossible shelf for it to hit. Because Last Crusade is probably one of my top 15 movies of all time, if not top 10. So it had a lot to going against it. And I think that's the one thing that, like, the four of us watching it a bazillion times and then going into, well, this is the fourth movie. It's going to be fucking great. Oh, my God. Here we go. And we should realize it's an even Indiana Jones movie and that doesn't work. But... I think it's with this one, I'm like, I'm going to have fun with this movie. You know, I love Phoebe Waller-Bridge. She's never not funny to me. And her and Harrison Ford is a wildly interesting concept that I didn't think was going to be happening. So I want to see what happens there. Let's see what happens with the de-aging. Let's see what happens with, why is Antonio Banderas in this goddamn movie? Like, yeah. Mads Mikkelsen. It's like, okay, I'm just going to go in and let's just see what happens. If it sucks, you know what? I still have Last Crusade, and that's where it'll end for me. So, I, I'm that's where I am. I'm just like I'm cautiously optimistic. You, you sold me a ticket already. Let's go. So, Tyler, where are you now that we're at we're at a 49% rating on Rotten Tomatoes? Lukewarm coming out the gates. What do you think? Uh, I'm in a very similar place. You know, um, the, for, first I'll say like I'm not deterred by the critics. Uh, I also you know want to ask like. When we talk about hype for this movie, what when it comes to this franchise, what does that really mean? Find me the person with the most venom for Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. They're still going to watch number five. They're still going to go see it. It's Indiana fucking Jones. So like the, the, the franchise itself still has that hype. And I don't think there's anything this movie can really do to diminish one, two and three. 
unless they like narratively, like really like, unless a big set piece takes place, like when they open the Ark of the Covenant and they retcon a bunch of stuff. (laughs) They open the Ark of the Covenant and there's the stones and there's the, the, there's, there's the, (laughs) there's the Holy Grail and a skull. I think we knew it the whole time. Exactly. And a Sith Wayfinder. I think this... hand, you're like, oh, fuck. Oh. It's a little... It's a they little found Air those Force... lightsabers they got buried a, in the desert. It's a little Air Force yeah. one. He's like, what does this mean? <laughs> I think this movie would have to do a lot to really taint the franchise. And I think they're getting a daily reminder every day on set that this is going to be a different movie. Harrison Ford is awesome. Harrison Ford is also 80. So we're about to get a different movie. He's not going to be, I hope he's not going to, I hope they're not making that wonderful man jump into cars and punch people out. The guy has crashed like 17 planes. You know, he's going to try. That's true. But I look at a franchise like, uh, he also broke bones on this set, didn't he? Yeah, he did. I'm not saying he's not going to be physical, but like I look at a franchise like Picard where you take a character who was very like heroic and you do kind of have to, you know, there's a scene in like the first season of Picard. It's not a great series, but like they need to run away from people and they decide to run straight upstairs. And he's eventually like, I can't. And I think three steps in like, I can't. (laughs) And I think uh, they're going to have to do stuff like that. And I just think we're about to see a different kind of Indiana Jones movie. And I'm just curious to see what they do with it. You can't harm the first three. Well, one and three. I would love nothing more than to walk away from this being like looking at the franchise as a whole and going, oh, the odd ones rule. Yeah. Allie. Yeah. I'm, I'm too hyped and I'm, I'm worried. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be so... I'm going to go in with the same level of hype that I had last time and I haven't learned anything. I'm going to be too excited. Hearing that it has bad reviews does make me so, like, I'm so much more worried that I'm just too hyped and I know now that, like, they're just going to be dashed by something. I don't know if they're going to do a flashback to, like, a 30-year-old like Indy meeting a 15 year old Marion or something creepy. Oh, like that. No, no. Oh, no. Oh, I don't know. I don't, I was so excited about Antonio Banderas. I love him, Phoebe Waller Bridge. And I just think like I've gotten so hyped and I'm so excited. And it's just like the last time I think that they can only disappoint me. So I'm very worried. Fuck. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, Alex. I love um, your optimism though. <laughs> Alex, you, I mean, you are, I don't know if you have this, you did like Last Crusade a lot. Do, do you have a, a high hype level for this film going into it? Or or does this can change anything for you? Or? So obviously this is not a franchise that I've lived with for decades. So that's obvious. That's just going to change how I feel about it compared to you guys. Uh, for me, this is a franchise whose worst film is a three star and whose best star, whose best film is a four and a half star. So it's like, in solid good but not great territory all the way through for me and so in my expectations are modest and in that sense i feel like if it ends up not panning out well okay and if it ends up great then that's great too i i, I obviously like james mangold as a director i like harrison i like that harrison ford is on this like fun victory lap over the last 10 years of just doing all of his old parts again like all of his, he's he's been han solo he's been like the guy from blade runner he's getting to re-inhabit the 
the role of president now that he's going to be in Captain America 4 <laughs> as President Ross. Uh, so I like that he's getting to have his little victory lap. He deserves it. The man is a legend, and he is one of the last movie stars that we'll probably ever see. Um, I love Phoebe Waller-Bridge, obviously. Uh, her and Lucasfilm have not had a great relationship, or at least track record. Uh, let's not forget, uh, she is the Millennium Falcon, guys, uh, canonically. Uh, let's We can never forget that. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. Lucasfilm has just had like a really mixed track record over the last five years, and that makes me worried, um, especially with the earlier reviews saying that it's a lot of nostalgia bait and stuff like that, which is like not ideal. I am. I like Tyler that you think that this is going to be a different kind of Indiana Jones movie because he's older. It seems like it's going to be the exact same thing. Only a <laughs> lot of it is just going to be like the CGI replication of Indiana Jones oh, riding a horse yeah, and things like yeah. that. Um, let's not forget that Lucasfilm resurrected the corpse of thirty-year-old uh, <laughs> Luke Skywalker for uh, multiple episodes of television uh, not too long ago. So I think that they're kind of shameless with that sort of thing. Uh, so yeah, I I don't know. Mm. I I don't know. There's things, there's things to be optimistic about, uh, but I'm I'm keeping my expectations modest. You're right. Well, guys, rejoin us in a few weeks when we review Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, and we will let you know how we felt about it. And if whoever was it was on these two podcasts, if they're not on that episode, I I will hunt them down and find out what they thought. I that sounded way more sinister than I meant it to be. I will ask them what they thought of it and relay it to our audience. But now guys, it's time to bid everyone adieu and tell us where people could find you on social media. Allie, thank you so much for hanging in there. I know you're such a trooper these this week <laughs> doing this podcast on COVID. Uh, it sounds like you've took it when I say you're on COVID. Um, <laughs> where can people find you on social media? Tell us about your podcast, Not Couple Goals and everything else that you're doing. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. This has been my only social interaction since I've been it's like, here. It's like the only time I've seen my husband this week. <laughs> really, honestly, it's nice to remember that people exist um, and to have tasks like watch these movies and stuff. Um, so you can find me on social media, Twitter, Instagram, at anal retentive, A-N-E-L-R-E-T-E-N-T-I-V-E. Uh, you can find me on TikTok, at like Willie Nelson. I post comedy videos and things like that. Um, and then, yes, I do have a podcast with my husband, Tyler. It is uh, Not Couple Goals. We talk about the best and mostly worst of romantic thrillers. This week, I believe we did uh, What Lies Beneath in honor of uh, you know, Harrison Ford and Indiana Jones. Yeah, Amanda, when you mentioned that was your favorite like non-solo Harrison Ford performance in the last episode, I like stood up in my chair and was like, yes! Yeah, did what lies I, gotta, I can't I can't wait to listen uh, with the so, pop break music editor, Kat Manos. Yes. And if so, if you want to hear some thirst for Harrison Ford, literally my first note on that movie was Harrison Ford can still hit, get it. So definitely still some thirst in that. Podcast <laughs> about Murder me. Harrison Ford has a whole new light after watching that movie. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> I let him show me what lies beneath. But anyway, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and as her husband i'm fine with that that's oh. where you can find me <laughs> <laughs> tyler um, tell us about yourself yes uh yes you can find me on twitter for <laughs> now uh at tyler mccarthy 
Uh, you can read my writing on USA Insider, NBC Insider, Sci-Fi Wire, and um, NBC Insider, all the NBC Universal editorial properties. Uh, I'm doing a lot of great work for them. And if you're reading something that doesn't have my byline, it's written by another wonderful uh, and well-educated nerd uh, like me. Uh, and then, yes, just another shout out to our podcast on the Breakcast feed every other Thursday, Not Couple Goals. If you enjoy me, if you enjoy my very Harrison Ford thirsty wife, uh, and if you enjoy movies that are so bad, they're good, or sometimes so bad, they're worth talking about. Uh, that's where you can find us. That is a hell of a catchphrase for your podcast. <laughs> uh, Amanda, where can people oh, man. find you? Oh, man. I am still like that you guys just covered what lies beneath. I'm like, yay. Um, so yes, I am on Twitter at Resonors Chick because I'm a huge Nine Inch Nails fan. R-E-Z-N-O-R-S-C-H-I-C. So on Twitter, just tweeting about all the lovely wrestling things, Star Wars things, which happy Star Wars Day to everybody, everybody here, by the way. You know, 46 years of Star Wars A New Hope and 40 years of Return of the Jedi today and five years for Solo actually if you like solo <laughs> um and then on instagram at amandalorian and uh another plug for not couple goals because i love their podcast guys it's great Aww. stuff the movies they cover are hilarious and i love it i'm here for it thank you and you can hear episodes with all three of the people on this podcast today that's right find out about how i watched ghost while my daughter was being born <laughs> that's a hell of a time <laughs> Uh, if, you, if you want to listen to Tyler go on a rant about a traitorous dog, you got to check out their podcast. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that has such a loaded statement. Uh, is it actually a dog? Is it his brother? Is it a friend? Who knows? Um, for me, oh, it was a real dog on a boat. A wild fuck. movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. That dog was an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> what movie? What episode was this? That was Dead Calm. <laughs> fuck that dog. I mean I need oh, to go watch this we, movie now. Time we could we could shit on a Billy Zane movie. Uh, <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> you know what you know what I did there. That's on uh, the masthead of the pop break, right? Yes, <laughs> it actually is. Uh, uh, if you must follow me on Twitter, I'm at Bodkin Writes. But Alex, uh, tell us about the podcast you and I do. All the podcasts uh, on the pop break and uh, where people can find you on the internet. So you can follow me on Twitter and Letterbox at Media Thinkings. You can follow my TV podcast, TV Break, that I do with Bill and Josh Jernacki. Uh In a couple of weeks, we have our next episode up. We're going to be reviewing American Born Chinese, uh, directed by Daniel Dustin Cretton, starring almost the entire cast of Everything Everywhere All at Once. Uh, whole season is out now on Disney+. Plus. They dropped it all at once, so you can check that out and then listen to our thoughts in a couple of weeks when we get to it. Um, really looking forward to that. Uh, our film podcast that I do with Bill, Bill versus the MCU, film and TV, right? Uh, right now, we just finished up our Defenders saga, the first of two, because the first one went very well. Uh, so we talked all about Daredevil, uh, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, all that stuff. Uh, we did that for the first half of the year. Uh, this month, uh, we're going to be doing an episode checking in on the proper MCU, where we're going to be re doing a rewatch of Ant-Man Ant and the Wasp, Quantumania and also talking about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 and just a general conversation about where things are now that Alex we're in Phase 5. We're going to cry on that episode. Certainly. I mean, if it's a Guardians episode, it's an episode where we cry, so... 
that's been established. Uh, so that'll be fun. And then after that, we're going to be talking about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I've roped Bill into finally watching that show with me. So that's going to be a blast. Also, uh, not a plug, but I do want to point out that you guys talked about iconic Harrison Ford roles in your last episode. And I wanted to say that I love him in Working Girl. I think that's a really yes, great film. Yes, we talked about yes. that. And that was maybe I, mine. Also, un, underrated, underdiscussed American Graffiti. He's not like a star yes. of that movie, but he's great so, in yeah. it. It's a fantastic movie. Yes. Uh, the best movie George Lucas ever directed, I think. Uh, but that's a hot take. And then I never watched Witness or The Fugitive, but those are both iconic movies that, like, obviously uh, are at least uh, as iconic as like Han Solo and uh, and this guy. Yeah, The Indian. Fugitive more than The Witness. Fugitive. Yeah. People love Witness, though. People. Love I'd like Witness. to. T- I'd like to talk to those people. Well, Witness uh, was his Oscar nomination, though, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah, he's very good in it. That rest of the I've movie? heard that's the sexiest he's ever been on film. I've heard that there's a very, very sexy scene in that too. I haven't seen that one yeah, yet. Yeah, I mean, so <laughs> just wanted to. I, I feel like that's a not couple goals episode Dallas, <laughs> in the future. Um, guys, uh, check out uh, again. I plug my Twitter, but go check out thepopbreak.com. We've been doing this every day for 14 years. Um, the people on this podcast are a huge reason why we're still going. Uh, we have a lot of new writers coming on, a lot of new photographers coming on. Uh, check them out, go support them. They're the they're a lot of young kids in college who were trying to help out and trying to coach up and stuff, and they're really, really good. So I really want you to check out their work. And we also have a great summer for concerts to shot Blink 182 at the UBS Arena in Long Island. So it's a pretty big one for us. And of course, check out all our podcasts at Alex uh, Shepherd's and uh and and produces they're really awesome check us out on twitter and instagram at the pop break so next week oh boy if you choose to accept to listen to us next week we're (laughs) starting our mission impossible rewatch the next few weeks is going to be all even hunt all the time baby so we will see you then have a happy week